Today, brothers and sisters, I want to talk to you about something that I've shared before, maybe several times over the years, when it comes this time of the year. Uh, and that is because we are approaching what we call the holiday season. And believe it or not, y'all be surprised how many people uh, really honestly begin to stress at this time of the year. Uh, as, as even conscious people begin to stress at this time of the year. And one of the reasons why we begin to stress is because of something called influences, exterior influences, outside influences. Because all of the stuff that's going on around us, you know, our loved ones and even our children, you know, they say, well, mommy, why can't I? Why can't we? Why can't we do this here? And that's, that's stress on a family. So to help equip you to deal with this stress a little better, I want to talk to you today about holiday situations and the African mindset, okay? But before getting into it, let's read what's in that circle right there, and I'll tell you why we're going to read it, because I'm going to say something today that's going to be outside of somebody's circle of awareness. Did y'all hear what I said? There's no doubt in my mind, it never fails. I'm going to say something that you might not agree with. And the reason why you won't agree with what I'm about to say is because you don't know what I'm talking about. Doesn't mean I'm wrong. It simply means you don't know what I'm talking about. I put on my Facebook page the other day, a man, when asked, how did I write that? I said, uh, a man was discussing the validity of the Bible. Grab this. A man was discussing the validity of the Bible. And in his discussion, he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the person he was talking to said, how do you know that? You know what the man said? Because the Bible says so. Did you get that? Yes. He quoted a Bible verse. And then when he was asked, how do you know that? What did he say? Because the Bible says so. Look at somebody next to you and say, never quote a thing to prove the validity of that thing. Did that make sense? Okay. 
nobody in their right mind accepts a person's own words as a character witness of him. When you when you go to a job and fill out a, a, a job application and it says character with character references, character references, why do you think they ask for character references? To attest to your character. So if your own words could prove that you are who you say you are, then they don't need character references. So that's the principle of establishing validity for a thing. Do y'all follow what I'm saying? Okay. So again, what I'm going to say today, I'm sure it's going to be outside of somebody's circumference of awareness. Don't insult your own intelligence by saying I'm wrong without at least going to check out what I said. At least do that, right? Let's read what it says. What does it say? The space inside this circle represents my all that I think I know about whatever I think I know is depicted right here within this circle. I must keep in mind that there's more to know than what is within the circumference of my awareness. Did y'all get that? Yes. Let's say this part one more time. I want to be sure you got it. Everybody say, all that I think I know. About whatever I think I know. Now notice I didn't say all that I know. I said all that I think I know. See, because y'all would be surprised how many times I've had to go back and, and eat words because I spoke thinking I knew what I was talking about. See, that's why I put that there. Why do I stand and lecture? Why do I stand and talk? Let's read. What does it say? The aim of this lecture is to do what? Is to begin the process of undoing or reversing ideas and concepts that have been programmed into the minds of our people by what? By what? Religious statements and church doctrines that have caused us to adopt a belief system. What kind of system? A belief system that has resulted in our loss of contact with what is real, what is factual, what is historical, and what is spiritual. Now, notice I said adopt a belief system. Why do they give us a belief system? Let's deal with that before I even get into the message today. Why are we given a belief system? Look at somebody next to you and say, for the purpose of control. That's the whole purpose of a belief system, y'all. Okay? See, in other words, if I can tell you what to think, grab this now. If I can tell you what to think, then I can control you. But if I teach you how to think, I no longer have control over you. Because you now can control yourself. Am I making sense? Today's message is the subliminal seduction of holiday celebrations. What kind of seduction? Let's deal with this for a moment. I hope I can get through these slides here today, okay, because the first few slides is actually a workshop in and of itself. The subliminal seduction. Now, it's bad enough to be seduced. It's just bad, outright bad enough to be seduced because to be seduced means that you're being manipulated into something without realizing you're being manipulated into it. 
That's what seduction is all about. But now when we say the subliminal seduction, that means that you are participating in your own seduction. Because you have some stuff that's in your head. You have some concepts that's in your mind that have been put there, that was put there. And usually, y'all, when these things are put in our minds, they're put in our minds before we even able to think. Did y'all hear what I said? They're put in our minds long before we even know how to read, long before we even know how to exercise critical thinking faculties, long, be long before that even happens. It's put in our minds because we were born into it. When we came out of the womb, we came out of the womb into a system that was designed to get our people where they are today. Brothers and sisters, you'd be surprised. I mean, it will blow your mind how many brothers I talk to and lock up. You'd be surprised how many brothers I used to see come through the doors, man, you know, who came through, the, grew up in Sunday school. Grab what I'm saying. Grew up in Sunday school. Coming through the door, chain, handcuffed to each other, but they grew up in Sunday school. Am I making sense? All of this stuff they got in their head that was given to them, but yet all the stuff that was put in their head is not making a difference in their life. Why? Because what was put in their head, looks, look at somebody and say, because it wasn't real. It wasn't real, man. It was a concept. It was an idea. It was somebody's doctrine. It'd be like the old Indian. Christian missionaries, of course, this is an analogy. Christian missionaries go into Native Americans to all their doctrines and ideas and concepts. Indians look at them and say, hmm. Mm. What all you need to do if you want this? What all you need to do if you want that? Well, just believe this, just trust that. And they say, hmm. And after the Christian missionaries finish all their talk, Indian chiefs say, do it grow corn. That's all the Indian chief want to know. You coming in here with all this talking, all we want to know is when, when you finish, will I have some corn after you finish? If I ain't going to have no corn, I don't want to hear it. You follow me? The subliminal seduction. Let's read. What does it say? The reason why holiday celebrations such as what? Christmas and Easter. And those are the two major ones, y'all. The reason why holiday celebrations such as Christmas and Easter came into existence was what? For what? Read it. Was to induce a psychological impairment that would result in a perpetual psychopathology, thus rendering those who are spiritual by nature impotent in the defense of their own spiritual well-being. Now that whole, that one slide will preach. Just that one slide is a whole workshop. Got it? Yeah, that's why I got it. I want y'all to digest it. I want you to read it. Let's break it down. The whole reason why they came up with these celebrations was to induce a psychological impairment 
In other words, it was to make you psychotic. Teach. Teach. And I'm going to break down a psychological impairment for you in a minute. Okay, a psychological impairment, and trust me, I'm going to show you in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual the code today. I'm going to show you the code in a medical manual that says you're crazy. <laughs> you can actually apply for disability insurance. <laughs> For, for believing the stuff that they programmed in our heads to believe. It's a psychological impairment that would result in a what kind of psychopathology? Perpetual. What does that mean? That means ongoing. In other words, once they put it in your head, and once you keep tapping into it and believing it, you will be continuously insane. As long as you believe it. But you don't know you're insane. You know why? Because you were raised with this. You grew up on it. As a result of this perpetual psychopathology, it renders those who are spiritual by nature. Now who is that? Us, Us black people. Look at somebody next to you, Ever hold, hold, hold your circle up, I'm going to say something that's outside somebody's circle. Hold circle up like this, say, say, and look at somebody next to you and say, he's getting ready to say something that's outside of my circle of awareness. Now here we go, while you holding this up, look at the person you just talked to and said, you don't need the Holy Ghost. And don't take my word for what I'm saying. The word, the phrase Holy Ghost is a New Testament concept that was created by the Roman Catholic Church. Now, why you don't need the Holy Ghost? Look back at the person and say, because you were born with the Spirit of God. Teach, When you came out of your mother's womb, the Spirit of God was already in you. That's why even as a child, when you did stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing, your conscience convicted you. Long before you accepted some doctrine of Christianity, you knew you were wrong. What was that in you that convicted you even as a child that made you lie? Your mama said, did you do that? Uh-uh, no. <laughs> inside you made you lie. You weren't taught to lie. You knew you were getting ready to feel something. And you didn't want to feel that. And you know you did what you weren't even taught to do. It's called self-preservation. It's the first law of nature. Those who are spiritual by nature, it renders us impotent. Impotent, y'all, means powerless. It renders us powerless in defense of our own spiritual well-being. You know why you're powerless? Because you believe what's not real. Y'all all right? Yes. Gotta ask you now, because it's gonna... I'm, I'm, 
Y'all all right? Let's go to the next slide. Fortunately, we are living in an era in which people are exercising their God-given right of the freedom to do what, y'all? Say it again. The freedom to think. Everybody say think. I just heard Aretha. <laughs> you better think. <laughs> she put it in a song. Your God-given right to think. Your God-given right to think. Now, why are you saying God-given right to think, brother? Because God designed your brain to do that. You don't have to give nobody's permission to think. <laughs> That's the way God wired your brain, y'all, to think. Yes. As a result of personal literary research, non-religious based publishing entities, and teachers who are committed to the dissemination of historical facts instead of allegorical and mythical indoctrinations, people are slowly being what? Resurrected and what else? Liberated from the comatose state of spiritual and cultural illiteracy. It's happening slowly. I'm looking at churches today that are suffering because people are starting to think. Yes. Did y'all hear what I'm saying? Yes. People are starting to say, why? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Oh, I know. We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Oh. In fact, Jesus has been demonstrated time and time again to be a mythical figure along the same lines as Zeus, Horus, Krishna, Romulus, and many other demigods that ancient civilizations made up in reverence to. The Son, you don't have to just take my word for it. Do the research yourself, and you will find that Jesus is a fictional character based on myths of heroes from all over the world. What you talking about, Willis? In simple terms, Jesus was invented and did not depict a real person and thus is not the son of God. Say it ain't so, Joe. Now, before you run away from this video because you just heard some things you disagree with, just hear me out for a little while. If at any point you feel I state something that's incorrect, leave a comment below and correct me. But I assure you, the information I am providing in this video is 100% true, regardless of what you were told by your preacher. As painful as it might be, we as a people need to come to grips with reality if we are ever going to come together and truly liberate our people once and for all. Let's get to the facts. The only literary evidence for a man named Jesus is in the Gospels Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. There are other Gospels, but the creators of the Bible decided not to include those in the Bible that was given to you to read. The second fact is that Christians plagiarized the story of Jesus from earlier pre-existing myths in a process known as synchronization. Synchronization is the process of assimilating with a foreign population by taking key aspects of their culture and fusing it with another. Then over generations, certain aspects of the former culture are replaced. Every bit of wisdom, morality, and value in the Bible was copied from other cultures and fused with the Jewish culture during the invasion of Northern Africa in the first century. Now again, I know that as I'm speaking, there are some of you who disagree with what I just said. But if you don't listen, I assure you that you will not learn anything. If you want knowledge of self, freedom to think and grow to your full potential, then listen closely because what I'm about to say over the next few minutes can truly free your mind. If you aren't afraid to think, First, let's learn who Horus is. Horus was born to the goddess Isis, or Set, after she retrieved all the dismembered body parts of her murdered husband, Asar. 
except his penis, which was thrown into the Nile and eaten by a catfish, or sometimes depicted as instead by a crab, and according to Plutarch's account used her magic powers to resurrect her husband and fashion a phallus to conceive her son. After becoming pregnant, Isis fled to the Nile Delta marshlands to hide from her brother Set, who jealously killed Asar and who she knew would want to kill their son. Their Isis bore her divine son, Horus. This African myth predates the story of Jesus by over 6,000 years. But notice the similarities. There is a miraculous birth. The mother fled her city and birthed her divine son in another city, just like Mary did with Jesus. Horus was born on December 25th. His birth was marked by a star in the east and three wise men came to his birth with gifts. Horus began teaching at 12 years old and was baptized at age 30. He performed miracles including walking on water and raising people from the dead. There is even a narrative of a resurrection. Horus gradually took on the nature as both the son of Asar and Asar himself. In the temple of Dendera he is given the full royal titulary of both that of Horus and Asar. He was sometimes believed to be both the father of himself as well as his own son, and some later accounts have Asar being brought back to life by a set. Thus we have a story of a holy trinity 6,000 years before Jesus. Horus was often referred to as the Most High or Christ, KRST, and was said to protect his followers in the afterlife. But wait, the story of Horus is just a myth. Horus is a symbol for the sky, the sun was his right eye and the moon his left, and they traversed the sky when he, as a falcon, flew across it. Later, the reason that the moon was not as bright as the sun was explained by a tale known as the contendings of Horus and Seth. In this tale, it was said that Seth, the patron of Upper Egypt, and Horus, the patron of Lower Egypt, had battled for Egypt brutally, with neither side victorious, until eventually, the god sided with Horus. As Horus was the ultimate victor, he became known as Horus the Great, but more usually translated Horus the Elder. In the struggle, Seth had lost the testicle, and Horus's eye was gouged out. The eye of Horus is an ancient Egyptian symbol of protection and royal power from deities, in this case from Horus or Ra. The symbol is seen on images of Horus' mother, Isis, and on other deities associated with her. In the Egyptian language, the word for this symbol was Wajet. It was the eye of one of the earliest of Egyptian deities, Wajet, who later became associated with Bastet, and Hathor as well. Wajet was a solar deity and this symbol began as her all-seeing eye. In early artwork, Hathor is also depicted with this eye. Now let's talk about Krishna. In the Krishna Karitas, Krishna was born to Devaki and her husband, Vasudeva of the Yadava clan in Mathura. Devaki's brother is a tyrant named Kamsa. At Devaki's wedding, according to Puranic legends, Kamsa is told by fortune tellers that a child of Devaki would kill him. Sometimes, it is depicted as an Akashwani made an announcement about Kamsa's death. Kamsa arranges to kill all of Devaki's children. When Krishna is born, Vasudeva secretly carries the infant Krishna away across the Yamuna and exchanges him. When Kamsa tries to kill the newborn, the exchanged baby appears as the Hindu goddess Yumaya, warning him that his death has arrived in his kingdom and then disappears. Notice the similarities between Jesus and Krishna. Both were miraculously conceived. Both had royal genealogies. Both were threatened with death by a wicked ruler. Krishna and Christ were human incarnations of a triune God. Both were tempted by demons. Both worked miracles, both transfigured themselves, and both predicted their own deaths. Now let's go to Romulus, the Roman sun god. From 771 BC, Romulus, according to legend, founded the city of Rome on the 21st of April. Easter commemorates the crucifixion of Jesus 
and when he rose from the tomb. Romulus was born of a virgin, Rhea who had been miraculously impregnated by the god Mars. Romulus didn't die a natural death, but was brought to heaven by his divine father Mars. Most accounts claim Romulus' father was either the Mars, god of war, or the demigod Hercules. King Amulius ordered the twins Romulus and Remus' death by means of lab burial, exposure, or being thrown into the Tiber River. Much like when King Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Romulus was cared for by a shepherd and his wife. He grew up to be a shepherd like his adoptive father. Romulus was the legendary founder and first king of Rome. He was honored by the people as king. Yes, he had 12 disciples. Romulus was a great general that led the Romans to many victories over their rivals, displaying superhuman strength and martial abilities. There are two versions of Romulus' death. One, Romulus mysteriously disappeared in a storm or whirlwind. Two, Romulus was violently attacked. His body cut into small pieces and carried away. Both Jesus and Romulus' bodies disappeared after death. The people wanted to search for him, but the Senate told them not to, for he had risen to join the gods. Now people, we have reached the point where you really have to put your feelings and beliefs to the side. I'm asking you to think. Think critically and logically. After this episode, go and verify for yourself so that you can know that what I'm saying is true. The reason why all of these stories are so similar to that of Jesus is because all of these stories are based on the movement of the sun. It's time to wake up. The son of God, S-O-N, is the sun, S-U-N, that which giveth life, the light of the world, the most high. The reason why all of the made of God men had 12 disciples is because there are 12 constellations. The sun enters each constellation at an angle of 30 degrees. We have been taught to take literally that which was originally a symbolic representation of the sun. We have taken that which does not literally exist and incorporated it in our psyche and we wonder why our community is not performing satisfactorily. The reason why all of the mythical gods are born on December 25th is because on December 22nd, one of the Earth's poles has its maximum tilt away from the sun. Think about this. There are 365 days in a year. There are 360 degrees in a circle. Every day, from Earth's perspective, the sun appears to rise one degree further than the previous day. 365 minus 360. What happened to the other five days? Well, twice a year, once in June and once in December, the Earth reaches its maximum tilt, giving the perception from Earth that the sun has ceased moving on its one degree per day journey. Approximately two to three days later, on December 25th, the Earth begins its wobble in the other direction, giving the perception from Earth that the sun begins moving on its normal one degree per day trek across the sky. The ancients studied the sky very closely, especially the sun because it was important to understand the seasons in order to cultivate crops. The ancients knew that the sun was the life-giving force of the Earth, and they created myths and stories which Christians later plagiarized and historicized, convincing later generations that the myths were based on actual historical events. Now though the sun is annually reborn on the date chosen for Christ's birth, the 25th of December, the midwinter solstice, for a period the sun was also born at the autumnal equinox as the infant son of God, the bread of life. This is the time of the original Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, Tishri, the religious New Year as opposed to the civil New Year which began on, Nisan. Rosh Hashanah was designated in Jewish religious law as a festival and a time of great rejoicing. Paradoxically, it was also the day of judgment because it was an anniversary of the creation. The reason is that in the centuries ending the first millennium BC, the procession of the equinoxes led to a curious celestial event. 
the child of the cosmic virgin speaker rose on the eastern horizon at the autumnal equinox at the same time as the sun so after the constellation of the virgin had risen just before dawn in the east the sun rose just when the bright star speaker was expected to rise it seemed as if the son of the virgin the ear of corn symbolizing the bread of life had risen as the glorious sun the virgin had given birth to a god what was even more spectacular on some of these occasions was that the morning star venus the queen of heaven rose in the constellation of virgo before the sun so the sun rises as the child of the virgin queen of heaven over the eastern horizon appearing out of the sea in many countries in latin sea is mer hence mer the infant god arises as the light of the east in the arms of his mother mary or venus the morning star which rises minutes before the child also interesting is the fact that the virgin in ancient zodiacs is associated with a tree in which case the sun would be an offshoot a shoot or a branch all of which were messianic names and the word nazarene comes from the word nizer meaning a branch the messianic name shiloh which puzzled scholars for a long time also means branch and therefore means the star speaker when the branch or son of the virgin appears as the light of the east in all his glory then the messiah has been born hence we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him this phenomenon occurred in 11 bc and 3 bc and either event might have been associated with jesus though the earlier one is the favorite the essenes who were astrologers trained in babylonian exile would have seen all this it later escaped into the empire as literal truth instead of the astrological signs it originally was the story of the slaughter of the innocents is also widespread because originally it was again part of the allegory of the sun's journey through the heavens when the sun passed through the constellation of gemini in may he was imagined to have destroyed them the greek word to destroy is honorario which literally means to pass through or withdraw from as well as to take away so why do you celebrate christmas because you have been brainwashed into a religion that worships the sun except you don't even realize that you're worshiping the sun because you call it jesus you don't study so you probably never thought to question why the tradition centered around christmas even exists why do you put lights on your house or gifts under your tree none of that stuff is even a part of christianity so what are you really doing the ancient egyptians worshiped the god called ra who had the head of a hawk and wore the sun as a blazing disc in his crown at the solstice when ra began to recover from his illness the egyptians filled their homes with green palm rushes which symbolized for them the triumph of life over death early romans marked the solstice with a feast called saturnalia in honor of saturn the god of agriculture the romans knew that the solstice meant that soon farms and orchards would be green and fruitful to mark the occasion they decorated their homes and temples with evergreen boughs in northern europe the mysterious druids the priests of the ancient selves also decorated their temples with evergreen boughs as a symbol of everlasting life the fierce vikings in scandinavia thought that evergreens were the special plant of the sun god balder we tend to think of christmas traditions as ancient but most of them are rather recent born in the 19th century a visit from saint nicholas was published in 1823 and a christmas carol in 1843 thomas nash drawings of jolly santa claus debuted in 1862 meanwhile in 1841 queen victoria's husband albert had introduced britain to the teutonic tannenbaum the christmas tree and the idea spread in the states president franklin pierce put one up at the white house in 1856 and by the 1870s fresh cut trees were being sold at washington square park and pretty ornaments at macy's but what really made a tree a christmas tree were the candles and while flickering flames were festive they were also a fire hazard 
over at the Edison shop, Johnson saw an opportunity. Setting up a tree by the street side window of his parlor, Johnson hand-wired 80 red, white and blue light bulbs and strung them together around it, and placed the trunk on a revolving pedestal, all powered by a generator. Then he called a reporter. At the rear of the beautiful parlors was a large Christmas tree presenting a most picturesque and uncanny aspect, wrote W.A. Crawford, a veteran writer for the Detroit Post and Tribune. It was brilliantly lighted with 80 lights and all encased in these dainty glass eggs and about equally divided between white, red, and blue. One can hardly imagine anything prettier. The lights drew a crowd as passers-by stopped to peer at the glowing marble. Johnson turned his stunt into a tradition. He also pioneered the practice of doing more each year. An 1884 New York Times article counted 120 bows on his dazzling tree. So basically Christmas lights are just a way for people to make money selling otherwise useless decoration. Gift giving is a tradition passed down to us by the invaders of our ancestors. And Jesus never even existed. So why do we celebrate Christmas? Folks, it's time to let go of our oppressor's religion, our oppressor's culture, and Sankofa, return to our natural way of life. You can never truly have freedom if you don't first gain knowledge of self. How do we know the Bible is not true? By Kweli Kush. Babies. What do you think of when you see a newborn baby? Most people think something like, ooh, look how cute that baby is. It's so precious. But that's not what Christianity teaches. Christianity teaches that all humans are born sinful and deserving of God's judgment, and that no amount of good works could ever remove our guilt. So if God suffered the punishment for our sins, that means we're off the hook, right? Not so fast. You see, there is a, a stipulation. God will only forgive you if you believe that he did that. That's right. According to Christianity, you are doomed unless you believe that the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe made the world and everything in it, then created two people, one of which ate a magical fruit that gave her knowledge of good and evil. And because she gained knowledge of good and evil, her descendants were then doomed until God makes himself into a man, comes down to earth, gets himself murdered, comes back to life, all to atone for the woman eating the magical fruit. We talk about fear-based marketing. I mean, this is fear-based marketing 101. According to Christianity, heaven is full of sinners who believe in God and hell is full of righteous people who don't believe in God. Thankfully, we know that none of this is true. You don't have to be afraid of going to hell for not believing in the Bible or believing in God. So how do we know that the Bible is not true? Let's get started. First, I would like to remind you of a little thing called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is a type of cognitive bias that involves favoring information that confirms our previously existing beliefs. This is often done unintentionally, but as researchers, it is our responsibility to make sure that we reduce our own confirmation bias. This can be done by seeking information from a range of sources, preferably sources that disagree with one another, using techniques to consider situations from multiple perspectives and discussing these perspectives with others. 
which brings me to the first source we will use for the purpose of this episode, AnswersInGenesis.org, a Christian website which details why the Bible is true. According to AnswersInGenesis.org, the Bible includes major moral failings of its heroes, yet most other religious writings tend to whitewash the flaws of their heroes. So right off the bat, we have a problem. The Bible is guilty of whitewashing moral failings of its heroes as well, especially those of Jesus. For example, there are many stories about Jesus as a child which have been omitted from the Bible, one of which Jesus actually kills another kid. But they took this out of the Bible in an effort to make Jesus seem more real. How will removing the story of Jesus killing another kid make Jesus seem more real? Well, because there are other older stories where mythical figures also have done the same thing when they were children. So if Jesus does the same thing as these other mythical figures, he looks more mythical rather than as a real person. So the compilers of the Bible simply omitted these books. Answeringgenesis.org goes on to say that the Bible accurately reveals historical people and places. Does this mean that the Bible is true? Well, not necessarily, because there is a genre called historical fiction, which is a fictional account that takes place in the actual past. The best example is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. You remember that movie, right? Where Abraham Lincoln goes around killing vampires and is really bloody and gory. Well, Abraham Lincoln is a real person who was the president during the Civil War, but he wasn't a damn vampire slayer. The story is fiction. So while the Bible may include people that actually existed, such as King David or Pontius Pilate, we don't necessarily know if the things that were attributed to these people were actually historical events. We need extra biblical evidence in order to conclude that evidence that we simply don't have. Strike two for the Christians. The Christian website goes on to talk about an archaeologist, Dr. William F. Albright, who asserted the accuracy of the Bible's history. Quote, thanks to modern research, we now recognize in its substantial historicity, the narratives of the patriarchs of Moses and Exodus and the conquest of Canaan of the judges, the monarchy, exile and restoration have all been confirmed and illustrated to an extent that I should have thought impossible 40 years ago. End quote. However, when we look at Bible archaeology, Archaeology.org, we find that there have been many new discoveries and additional analysis done, which largely overturned Albright's theories since his death in 1971. Although many people, including Kenneth Kitchen, has made a determined effort to keep the theory alive, there is no valid evidence, biblical or extra biblical, to sustain it. Even the biblical account clearly dates the Exodus conquest in the 15th century BC and not the 13th century as Albright suggested. On top of that, the majority of Palestinian archaeologists have rejected the concept of an Exodus conquest altogether in favor of other hypotheses for the origin of Israel. The most popular theory today is that Israel did not originate outside of Canaan, but rather arose from the indigenous population in the 12th century BC. But that's all Old Testament stuff. What about the New Testament? It's more recent, so there's got to be more evidence for the stories in the New Testament, right? And it turns out there actually is. For example, in the book of Luke, the proper location of Apollonia, where travelers would spend successive nights is mentioned, the presence of a synagogue in Thessalonica, the proper title politarchs used for the magistrates there, the correct implication that sea travel was the most convenient way of reaching Athens, which favored the east winds of summer sailing. They mentioned the abundance of the presence of images in Athens, the reference to a synagogue in Athens, 
They detail a fairly accurate reaction of Greek philosophers who denied bodily resurrection. And they even use the proper title for members of the court, Aeropagites. However, everything I just listed can be found in the same chapter. So this doesn't lend credence to the historicity of the entire Bible. Rather, it only proves that the author of Luke has some intimate knowledge of the people and the places he was writing about. Remember what we said about historical fiction and Abraham Lincoln not being a real vampire slayer? Well, this could be true for the book of Luke as well. Furthermore, none of these things touches on the real meat of the Bible, i.e. Jesus and the virgin birth and the resurrection. That's what we care about. Is that true? Luke doesn't talk about that in any of these accounts. So the fact that some things are accurate is utterly trivial in the sense of proving that the Bible is true, at least the parts that we care about. Think about our example of Abraham Lincoln. If I told you that Abraham Lincoln was a vampire slayer and you said you didn't believe me and then I showed you a movie that had all of the correct names and places, does that prove that Abraham Lincoln was a vampire slayer? No, and the book of Luke doesn't prove that Jesus resurrected or was born of a virgin. Answersingenesis.org goes on to say that the crucifixion of Jesus under Pontius Pilate has been proven through the writings of Tacitus. This is simply not true because Tacitus is not a contemporary of Jesus, meaning he was writing about 70 years after Jesus would have been crucified if he actually was. So this guy wasn't even born yet when this happened. So he didn't know if this event actually took place. At best, he was retelling a story. But it turns out that Tacitus was actually a Roman senator. So if anybody was going to lie about Jesus being crucified, it would be somebody like Tacitus. I mean, think about it. It's not like they invented writing in the second century. They had writing before Jesus was born. So you mean to tell me this guy lived this life and nobody wrote about him or him getting crucified and coming back from the dead until the next century? That's crazy. That would be like 9-11 happening and nobody writes about it or talks about it until 70 years later. Major events get talked about more than mundane events. So something major like a Masonic figure rising from the dead or being crucified, that would be noteworthy. But we have precisely zero contemporary writings for the life of Jesus or the death and crucifixion of Jesus. And that would be strike four for the Christians. Well, y'all struck out a long time ago, but we're going to keep going. So how do we know that the Bible is not true? Well, in the book of Isaiah, God presents a challenge to all of the other religions in the world. And I quote Isaiah chapter 41, verse 21. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. So in the Bible, this challenge is presented to the other religions asking can they accurately foretell future events well the problem is the bible can't even accurately foretell future events all of the so-called prophecies in the bible are not prophecies at all they're just simply people writing about what they think will happen or what they want to happen and then later on sometimes hundreds of years later another writer comes on and writes that that thing happened does that mean that it actually happened imagine this I, Kwali Kush, the atheist, writes a book and it says that in 20 years, there will be a house on the land where there isn't a house now. And 20 years later, I build a house there. 
is that a prophecy or was I just telling you what I was planning on doing anyway? <laughs> Let's go to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, which says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Really? You do? Because you didn't mention germs or the fact that washing our hands could prevent a lot of diseases and illness in the world. That would be something that a God would put in the Bible, right? I mean, think of all the sicknesses and deaths that could have been prevented by simply telling people that germs exist and you should wash your hands. Well, this isn't mentioned in the Bible because clearly the Bible wasn't written by an all-knowing God and the people who wrote it can't tell the future. I hear arguments of prophecies from Christians all the time. So if you believe that there are prophecies that have been fulfilled in the Bible, please call in. Now is your time to prove to me and you might just convert me to an atheist because if you can prove to me that there are some prophecies that have actually been fulfilled in the Bible, I would take that into serious consideration on my position. So please call in and tell us what these prophecies are and how they have been fulfilled. I dare you. Now, let's talk about camels. Why? Camels play a central role in the book of Genesis and are mentioned as pack animals in the biblical stories of Abraham, Joseph, and Jacob. But according to newly published research by Tel Aviv University, based on radiocarbon dating and evidence unearthed in excavations, camels were not domesticated in the land of Israel until the late 10th century BC, several centuries after the time they appear in the Bible. The university states, and I quote, in addition to challenging the Bible's historicity, this anachronism is direct proof that the text was compiled well after the events it describes. End quote. Robert Eisenman, a professor of Middle East religions and archaeology, states that we have known about this camel anachronism for over a century now from site analysis. The Hebrews were donkey people living on the coastlines and water routes, not camel people. Most of the proof we have that the Bible is not true comes from the very first book, Genesis. Genesis claims that the first human couple was Adam and Eve. But we know from analyzing the fossil record that humans did not suddenly appear on Earth, but rather they evolved gradually over the course of about six million years. People often get confused when they hear scientists refer to Y chromosome Adam and mitochondrial Eve. However, these two individuals simply passed down a portion of their genomes to the vast expanse of humanity, and they may have lived around the same time, but were not contemporaries of each other. So attempts to reconcile genetics with Genesis are very unlikely to succeed. And just to set the record straight, they were not the only man and woman alive at the time or the only people to have present day offspring. These individuals simply had the good fortune of successfully passing on specific portions of their DNA from the man, the Y chromosome, and from the woman, the mitochondrial genome, through the millennia to most of us today, while the corresponding sequences of others have largely died out. So not only does the evidence that we observe directly contradict the story of Genesis, but so does common sense. Women give birth to men, not the other way around. Another big clue that tells us the Bible is not true is the fact that the Bible claims that God can see the future and tell us the future, yet he still made Adam and Eve, knowing that Eve would eventually sin and doom mankind and he would have to flood the whole earth and kill everybody and make Noah. Well, if he was an all-knowing God, he could have just made Noah to begin with. 
Or hell, better yet, just started off with Jesus. Or hell, better yet, just made everybody in heaven. But God made Adam and Eve, so he couldn't have known the future. If he did, it's almost like he's dooming us himself because he knew it was going to happen. So clearly this all-knowing attribute that people attribute to God and that the Bible claims that God has cannot be true at the same time that Genesis is true. Something's got to give. Either it's all bullshit or one of them is bullshit, but they both can't be true. God can't be all-knowing and make Adam and Eve knowing what's going to happen and then come back and try to redeem what happened. That is idiotic and senseless and pointless and an all-knowing being would know that, especially if it can see the damn future. Likewise, we have overwhelming evidence that the flood mentioned in the Bible never happened. There have been hundreds of archaeological excavations that have attempted to find evidence of an apocalyptic flood such as is described in both the Bible and the Epic of Gilgamesh, but precisely zero have succeeded. There is no trace anywhere on the planet of a devastating global flood. And not to mention the simple fact that there is not enough water molecules on the planet to cover the entire surface of the planet up to Mount Everest. Another clue that tells us the Bible is not true is that there is absolutely no proof that the Exodus and the related miracles, the devastating plagues, the burning bush, the parted sea, the manna in the wilderness actually occurred. While turning up artifacts as far back as the late Stone Age, excavations in Sinai did not produce a single piece of evidence for the Israelites 40 year wandering in the desert. Most biblical scholars today widely agree that there was never any mass migration of the proportions described in the Bible. It is estimated that the diaspora would have numbered around some 2 million people out of an entire Egyptian population in 1250 BC that would have been about 3 million. Not to mention all three of the world's main monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, love to talk about Moses. He takes up about 15% of the Christian Bible and is mentioned 136 times in the Quran, more than any other prophet. He remains a universal symbol of liberation, leadership, and law. He was immortalized by Michelangelo. However, archaeologists and biblical critics argue that there is no direct evidence for Moses' existence. And much like many other parts of the Bible, details about Moses' life, such as him floating as a baby in the basket in it now, appear to originate from earlier legends. So what have we learned? Through the fossil record, we know that Adam and Eve never existed, and we just learned that Moses never existed. But let's talk about somebody who actually did exist, King Herod. King Herod was the ruler of Judea from 37 BC to 4 BC, and he was a bloody tyrant. In fact, he actually had several members of the Jewish government be executed when he died so that people would be sad. However, there is no record that King Herod's massacre of the innocents, as depicted in the book of Matthew, actually happened, in which he attempted to kill every male child under two in his kingdom in an attempt to destroy the baby Jesus. This, much like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer, is an example of historical fiction. People often mistake King Herod for being a Jewish king, when in fact, he wasn't a Jewish king, he was just the king of the Jews. He was actually polytheistic, and he believed in a lot of different religions and would have different shrines built for different religious groups in which he wanted to endear himself to all over the Roman Mediterranean. Now let's get to some controversial topics. The contradictions in the Bible. Oh yeah, many Christians love to claim that the Bible doesn't have contradictions. But read them and weep. We about to go through them. All right, let's get it. 
Jesus is claimed in the book of Matthew to be born during the time of King Herod's reign. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is said to be born when Quirinius was governor of Syria. However, Quirinius didn't become governor of Syria until about 11 years after King Herod died. So clearly, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew cannot both be correct about this. This is a contradiction, folks. Second contradiction in the book of Luke, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth and then moved to Bethlehem where Jesus was born in a stable. However, Matthew says that they lived in Bethlehem and then moved to Nazareth after Jesus was born. Well, which one is it? Somebody doesn't have their story right. Either way, the Bible contradicts the Bible. So please stop saying that there are no contradictions in the Bible. Read your damn book. I'm not going to read it to you. Let's keep it rolling. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 20, the angel spoke to Joseph. But in Luke chapter 1 verse 28, the angel spoke to Mary. Uh-oh. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. Yet Jesus says, you must hate your father, your mother, your wife, and your children, and even your own life to be a disciple. Says, call no man on earth your father. Uh-oh. God says, thou shalt not kill. Yet then he advocates genocide and even orders it in Exodus and Leviticus. Uh-oh. Bible also says that God is all-knowing and can see the future and even tell us the future. But if that's true, then why did he need people to mark their houses with blood in order to keep from killing their babies inside? I mean, wouldn't an all-knowing God know which house to pass over? Okay, so far we've talked about how the Bible contradicts itself. We've went over some inconsistencies with the claimed attributes of God and what is claimed about God in the Bible. We have explored some scientific inaccuracies and archaeological data that disproves the Bible. Now let's get into how the Bible is eerily similar to stories that predate the Bible by thousands of years. So in order to do this, I want to have a little bit of viewer participation. So now is your time to interact with us. So we're going to play a little game. I like to call this game Gilgamesh or Genesis. It's real easy. I'm going to make a statement that came from a story, either the story of Genesis or the story of Gilgamesh. All you have to do is type in in a live chat which story I'm quoting from. A for Genesis, B for Gilgamesh, C for both, or D for none of the above. Okay, let's get started, shall we? Number one, God decided to send a worldwide flood. This would drown men, women, children, babies, and infants, as well as eliminate all of the land of animals and birds. So which story did this come from? Genesis, Gilgamesh, both or neither? Type your answer in the live chat now. If you said A, you're correct. If you said B or C, you're also correct because the story happened in both Genesis and Gilgamesh. There was a worldwide flood that drowned everybody, eliminating all the animals and birds on the land. Number two, God knew of one righteous man. What story did this come from? Genesis? 
or Gilgamesh. A for Genesis, B for Gilgamesh, C for both, or D for none of the above. Type your answer in the live chat now. Correct answer is C. Both stories depict of God knowing of only one righteous man. In Genesis, the man is Noah, and in the Epic of Gilgamesh, his name is Ut Napishtim. Number three. God ordered a hero to build a multi-story wooden ark, and the hero initially complained about the assignment to build the ark. Which story did it happen in? A, B, C, or D? Type your answer in the live chat now. Ah, so I see some of y'all had caught on. The correct answer is C, both. Now keep in mind that while playing this game, the Epic of Gilgamesh is an epic poem from Mesopotamia that predates the Bible by about 2,000 years. Number four, the Ark would have had many compartments, a single door, was sealed with pitch, and would house two of every animal species. What story is this from? Genesis, Gilgamesh, both, or neither? You guessed it, both. Number five, a great rain covered the land with water. Now this is easy. Did it happen in Genesis, Gilgamesh, both or neither? That's right, in both stories, a great rain covered the land with water. Now number six, the ark landed on the mountain in the Middle East. So which story was this? Which story did the ark land in the Middle East? Genesis or Gilgamesh? Or was it both? Or neither? Maybe it's a trick question. Type your answer in the live chat now. And I can't get nothing past y'all. Y'all got it again. C, both. Number seven, the first two birds returned to the ark. The third bird apparently found dry land because it did not return. Now, which story is this from? Genesis, Gilgamesh, both or neither? Now, see, I tried to trip you up that time, but the answer is both, C. Number eight. The hero and his finally left the ark, ritually killed an animal, offered it as a sacrifice. A, B, C, or D? Type your answer in the live chat now. And yes, this did happen in both the Epic of Gilgamesh and the story of Genesis. The answer is C. Now, I know some of y'all going to get this one wrong. One of these stories, either the Epic of Gilgamesh or the Book of Genesis, depicts the gods being 
sorry after the genocide that they had committed. Which story was it? Genesis, Gilgamesh, both or neither? Lo and behold, the answer is C, both. The Babylonian gods did seem genuinely sorry in the Epic of Gilgamesh for the genocide, and the god in the Bible apparently was sorry because he promised never to do it again. Now keep in mind, folks, the level of detail in these stories. It's not just a matter of a flood happening in both stories, but there are specific details. Three birds sent out, resisting the call to build the ark in the beginning, a single man being chosen by God to build the ark, now, consider the fact that the story of Gilgamesh predates the Bible by about 2,000 years. So do you honestly think that the writers of the Bible had never heard of the story of Gilgamesh? And if they had heard it, that means they were simply rehashing an old popular tale. So what does that say about the Bible's truthfulness? Now let's talk about the life of Jesus. Jesus, revered by many because they believed that he was born of a virgin and died and resurrected, performed miracles like healing the sick, walking on water, turning water into wine, etc, etc. But what if I told you that Jesus wasn't the first person to do any of those things? Actually, he was the last one. There are many characters that predate Jesus by thousands of years that we all consider to be mythical, but they are told to do some of the things that Jesus has done, including the virgin birth and the resurrection. There is that of Asclepios, who healed the sick, raised the dead, and was known as a savior and a redeemer. And then we have the myth of Hercules, who was born of a divine father and a mortal mother, just like Jesus, and was known as the savior of his world. And we have that of Dionysus, who was thought to literally be the son of God, born from a woman who had not had sex with a man, and was depicted riding a donkey. He was a traveling teacher who performed miracles and was killed and resurrected, after which time he became immortal. Again, that's Dionysus, not Jesus. Then we have that of Osiris, who did all of those things and was born of a virgin, was considered the first true king of the people, and when he died, he rose from the grave and went to heaven. Osiris' son, Horus, was known as the light of the world, the good shepherd, and the lamb. He was also referred to as the way, the truth, and the life. His symbol was a cross-like symbol. And there's that of Mithra, whose birthday was celebrated, guess when? On December 25th, his birth was witnessed by local shepherds who brought him gifts. He had 12 disciples, and when he was done on earth, he had a final meal before going up to heaven. Sound familiar? On judgment day, he will return to pass judgment on the living and the dead. The good will go to heaven, and the evil will die in a giant fire. His holiday is on Sunday, because he's the sun god. His followers called themselves brothers and their leaders fathers. They had baptism and a meal ritual where symbolic flesh and blood were eaten. Heaven was in the sky and hell was below with the demons and sinners. And then we have the myth of Krishna who had a miraculous conception where three wise men were able to come to because they were guided by a star. After he was born, an area ruler tried to have him found and killed. His parents were warned by a divine messenger. However, they escaped and were met by shepherds. The boy grew up to be a mediator between God and man. 
And then there's Buddha, whose mother was told by an angel that she give birth to a holy child destined to be a savior. As a child, he teaches the priest in his temple about religion while his parents look for him. He starts his religious career about 30 years of age and is said to have spoken to 12 disciples on his deathbed. One of his disciples is his favorite and another is a traitor. He and his disciples abstain from wealth and travel around speaking in parables and metaphors. He called himself the son of man and was referred to as a prophet, master and Lord. He healed the sick, cured the blind and deaf and walked on water. One of his disciples tried to walk on water as well, but was sunk because his faith wasn't strong enough. Then you have Apollonius, who actually lived in the time that Jesus was alleged to live. And some people even think that the story of Jesus was adopted from Apollonius's life. Apollonius was said to perform countless miracles like healing the sick and restoring sight to the blind. He casted out demons and he was born of a virgin. He knew the scripture well as a child. He was crucified, rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples to prove his power before going to heaven to sit at the right hand of the father. He was known as the son of God as well. So how do all of these similarities with the life of Jesus prove that the Bible is not true? Well, simply because all of these mythical characters existed in story form thousands of years before Jesus was alleged to even live. And with that said, I would like to remind everybody that everything we have covered in this episode is merely the tip of the iceberg. There is lots of more information that will convince you, if you are willing to look at it, that the Bible is in fact fiction. So what do we mean when we say the Bible is fiction? There's plenty of factually true statements in almost all works of fiction, but it is how they function strategically and rhetorically that counts. If I start off by saying once upon a time, I'm inviting you into an exercise in fictionalization. Even if I say something true after that, once upon a time, there was a president named Nixon and he was almost impeached. This is true, but nonetheless, you wonder, what's your point? What moral are you pointing to by making it a once upon a time statement? Once upon a time, like fiction in general, goes beyond concerns for the truth or falsity of what really happened. Fiction is like drama, where the historical accuracy behind, let's say, Shakespeare's Richard III is not an issue. The real Richard wasn't as bad as Shakespeare portrayed him, but it doesn't matter. Shakespeare's point is a moral one, not a historical one. Moral in the sense of providing a lesson about the human condition. Both fiction and drama are presentational modes of communication. They work as art. They have a presentational point to make. By contrast, Sigmund Freud's totem and taboo is not presentational. It is written rather artfully in places, but its artistry is beside the point, whereas the artfulness of fiction is not. However well Freud wrote it, Totem and Taboo is an altogether erroneous account of the way ritual developed historically. Freud meant it as science, and its problem, therefore, is that it is not good science, not that it is fiction. The Bible, however, is fiction because overall its authors meant it as presentation, not as science or even as history, which is a form of science with its own scientific rules of evidence. Sometimes they accepted the truth of the stories they used, but sometimes they did not. Job and Esther described personalities who never lived and the authors knew it. Some of it reports historical fact, of course, there was a person named King David and there was a Babylonian invasion, etc. 
there was also a prophet named Isaiah, but his prophecies were included in the Bible to give us a lesson of morality, not to say that they were actually true or that they happened. The same is true of Genesis through Deuteronomy, Kings, Judges, and all the other books, some of whose characters really lived and some of whom didn't. It doesn't matter. Fiction can be chock full of characters who really lived with the storyline of things they really did and still be fiction. So I want to thank y'all for watching and participating with me tonight. At this point in time, we're going to open up the phone lines for discussion. If you want to add your two cents to what I said, or if you disagree with something I said, or if you have any questions, now is the time to call in and ask your question or state your comment. The link is in the live chat and also in the description below. And you can see the phone number right there on the bottom of the screen. Now, when you call in people, first of all, this is going to be a respectful dialogue between the host and the viewers we don't tolerate disrespect we don't disrespect you you don't disrespect us cool got it and when you call in i want to know the answer to some some questions so if you can answer any of these questions please now's the time to call in and do so i want to know how is jesus's crucifixion a sacrifice if he rose from the dead i mean when you sacrifice something it's gone but jesus rose from the dead three days later so was it really a sacrifice or was it a bad weekend i mean if he was immortal in the beginning of time and he's immortal today where's the sacrifice i also want to know that if jesus's death was supposed to be the sacrifice for our sins then how come we still have to accept him as our savior to avoid an eternity in hell? What did his death really accomplish? I also want to know, why does the Bible talk constantly about how to manage slaves and how to kill one's enemies, but doesn't talk about things that we think should be straightforward, things we get from a Bible like wash your hands and prevent illness and disease. Don't touch little kids in a sexual way. Like why isn't any of that stuff in the Bible? And also I wanna know why does the Bible mirror stories that predate the Bible by thousands of years? Why is the life of Jesus so eerily similar to other mythical figures? Is the Bible a big book of plagiarism or is there some other explanation here? These are the things I want to know from Christians or Bible believers. Please call in now and let me know. And while y'all get y'all calls together, your phone, your computer or whatever, uh, get your hair together. Make sure you're looking all right because you're going to be on camera. <laughs> get you a sip of water so you don't sound crazy. We're going to go to commercial break. We'll be right back after this. I absolutely love to read books, but honestly, sometimes I just don't feel like it. That's why I'm so grateful that I have a membership with Audible. Now I can have someone read books to me on demand whenever I want. Now I can listen to audiobooks while I'm exercising, cleaning the house, or visiting the royal throne. Sometimes I even like to listen to audiobooks as I fall asleep. It's actually quite relaxing. My Audible membership gives me thousands of books to choose from, which is why I'm recommending it to you. And if you use the link in the description, you can get two free audiobooks. That's two books of your choice, absolutely free, just for signing up via the link in the description. And you can even give Audible as a gift for someone you care about. Join Audible today.
Hey, what's up? This your boy Quali Kush. If you like the videos on this channel, then why not visit our website, qualikush.com. We post every day with topics ranging from religion to science, critical thinking, black-owned businesses, and much, much more. On the website, you'll also find links to all of the other social media related to Quali Kush. I personally post a book recommendation daily to the blog, and we are um 420 friendly. So come on down, visit us, leave a comment, and let us know what you think. Qualikush.com. Heaven in this fuck that all that shit. Y'all hoes gotta get off this corner with that. We're gonna get right back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. But first, please take a moment to hit the like button. Push the button. If it's your first time here, hit the subscribe button. Come on, push the button. Yeah, come on, push the button. If you're already subscribed, make sure you hit the little bell icon. That way you get a notification every time we post a new video. Push the goddamn button. Push the goddamn button. You heard what she said. I absolutely love to read books, but honestly, sometimes I just don't feel like it. That's why I'm so grateful that I have a membership with Audible. Now I can have someone read books to me on demand whenever I want. Now I can listen to audiobooks while I'm exercising, cleaning the house, or visiting the royal throne. Sometimes I even like to listen to audiobooks as I fall asleep. It's actually quite relaxing. My Audible membership gives me thousands of books to choose from, which is why I'm recommending it to you. And if you use the link in the description, you can get two free audiobooks. That's two books of your choice, absolutely free, just for signing up via the link in the description. And you can even give Audible as a gift for someone you care about. Join Audible today. Peace and Black Power to YouTube family and everybody tuning in on the audio podcast world. I want to thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of Atheist Church Live. We are back in full effect. And tonight we're going to talk about why God is gambling. Well, let me clarify this first. Because a lot of times people get confused when they hear atheists talk about God. They say, if you don't believe in God, then why are you saying God is this and God is that? Well, you got to understand, we don't believe in God. When we say, why is God doing this? We, we asking about the imaginary fictional God that you believe in. Why is the God that you believe in a gambler? And why is he gambling with you? So we're going to. Uh, read a little bit of the Bible because I know how much y'all love the Bible 
It's the best book in the world. It's so much fun to read. Even Christians love to read it. Can you hear the sarcasm in my voice? <laughs> so why is God gambling? I want you to pull out your um, good books. If you got one, pull out your Bibles. And we're going to go to the book of Job. It's um, one of the most disturbing books in the Bible. And I want to reiterate something that I, I tend to have to constantly say almost every episode that these events in the Bible are not historical. Rather, they are there to give you direction and not always good direction. Because, see, the Bible is a book that's made for people who are either slave like in their mind, meaning you think like a slave or for people who have done some type of atrocity where they feel like they need forgiveness, which is why Christianity is so appealing to people who are utterly pieces of shit because they've done things that they feel like they need to be forgiven for. So they tend to lean towards religions that offer that, even if they don't have any evidence that they actually get it. They just want to take the chance of maybe I might be forgiven for the bullshit that I did. Well, as an atheist, I don't feel that way. I don't feel guilty. So Christianity is not very appealing to someone like me, making it very easy for me to see through the charade. So in the book of Job, we can go to the first verse. It reads, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. And one who feared God and eschewed evil. So a lot of times when we atheists talk about what the Bible says, people think that we don't know what we're talking about, which is why not only am I reading it verbatim, but I have it displayed on the screen so that you can see that I'm not skipping over anything like your preacher do. Jumping from one book to the next, but rather we're going to read this in chronological order so we can get the best understanding of what the author intended to convey to the reader. So if this was not historical. Why is it in the Bible? Well, let's let's read it and see if we can come to that conclusion. Okay. Verse two reads, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. So Job was getting it in. He had 10 kids, seven sons. And if you are um, savvy in the ancient world and history, having sons is looked at as uh, a good thing or, or better than having daughters because your son carries on your name and your lineage. Your daughter, she gets married and she joins on to another family's lineage. So basically back then, much like today, people wanted to have sons, especially rich people. So what about Job? Let's read verse three. It says his substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 sheases and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all men of the East. So in these times, your wealth was determined by how much livestock you had. So according to your Bible, Job was filthy fucking rich. He had thousands of livestock, sheep, camels and oxen. And the first verse even says that he was perfect. They use that word. He was perfect. All right. So this man was 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 
he was the big wolf on campus. He was a, a, a rich man that had it going on, basically, is what the Bible is saying. And his sons, verse four, and his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so that when the day of their feasting were ended, Job sent and sacrificed them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offering according to the number of all of them. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So he was a praying man. He, he feared God and he protected his children with his um, prayers, basically. Now, verse six goes on to say, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also among them. Now, this is where you got to. Like they said, when you were in first grade, put on your thinking helmet. Or maybe they didn't tell that to you. That's what they used to tell me. Put on your thinking hat. That means it's time to use your fucking brain. You got to think about this. Read this verse again. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also among them. So correct me if I'm wrong. As I always say, I don't like to be wrong. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But when I read that, I interpret it as Satan is a son of God. It says the sons of God came to present themselves and Satan was with them. So if I say a bunch of bloods came and confronted me and Snoop Dogg was with them. Well, don't that sound like Snoop Dogg is in cahoots with the bloods? But we know Snoop Dogg is a crip. But if he rolling with the bloods, hey, well, this is this conflict of interest. There is he maybe he like Nipsey Hussle. He, he, he roll with the crips and the bloods. But basically, the Bible saying I'm not saying this. The Bible is saying that Satan rolls with angels. OK. Verse seven. And the Lord said unto Satan, he didn't speak to, to none of the, the sons of God, none of the angels. He said to Satan, from whence comest thou? And then Satan answered from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down upon it. So God say, where you come from, Satan? And Satan said, man, I've been I've been all around the earth, man, just going here, going there. I've been somewhere everywhere, man. Welcome, welcome, Kwame. We are we are right on verse seven of Job. How you doing, sir? What's good, brother? Can you hear me? Yeah, you good? Yeah, man. I had a hard time getting passwords and all, man. You know how Google do it, man. But uh, oh yeah, me, trust me, I know. Yeah, so go ahead. I'm gonna uh, try to uh, find the verse myself. You said uh, chapter one. Yeah, Job chapter one. All right, and verse eight reads, "And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth?" A perfect and upright man, one who feareth God and escheweth evil. So, according to your Bible, it was God's idea. He presented Job to Satan. Satan wasn't bothering Job. And I'm not here to defend Satan. I'm just reading the book and telling you what it says. Because apparently, y'all have a hard time comprehending what you read. You probably failed that part of all the standardized tests when you were in high school reading and comprehension where they give you a passage to read and then they ask you questions about that passage. 
because they want to know, did you understand what you just read? Yeah, you know, you can read. But do you understand what you're reading? And Christians have a problem with this because they've been reading this book for centuries and they haven't figured this out yet. All right. So I'm going to help you all a little bit. The Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So the Lord came up with this idea. He just saw this perfect man had it going on. Loved his kids. Prayed. He was perfect in the in the Bible's words. He was perfect. Not my words. They actually said this man was perfect. God said it again to Satan. He's perfect. Ain't nobody like him. He fears God and he hates evil. And then Satan said. Do Job fear God for not? Has not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou has blessed the work of his hands and his substance hath increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. So God presented Job to Satan and then Satan says, yeah, he might he might fear you god but i bet if you take away all his stuff he gonna start talking bad mad shit about you he just he just fear you because you you blessed him and you gave him all this stuff you know it's kind of sad too that satan you know what i'm saying calling god out on his shit like yeah nigga you're only doing this and you know to me that's it's, a, it's another way of violating free will too you know what i'm saying so you're, you're doing this just to prove a point to an adversary that you created while this man has really done nothing to deserve this shit. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, God gave him all this stuff, you know what I'm saying? Uh, in, 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 in hoping to get his, uh, get a spiritual blowjob every day from this guy. So, <laughs> you know, so, that, so that this, that this is, this is why I, I picked this topic because I wanted people to understand that even God has, narcissism he, he's very narcissistic according to and, and especially he really displays it you know what I'm saying towards the end spoiler alert you know what I'm saying and how can you let your creation convince you to uh, into a bit you know go ahead though yeah I agree so then we go on to say and there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house and there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. Now, he's not talking about BET uncut asses. He's talking about donkeys. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only have escaped to tell thee. So if you didn't follow what just happened, basically, uh, Job. And his daughters, they were chilling at one of the older brother's house. And one of his servants, which is another word for slave, came to him and said, hey, man, somebody just just killed all the oxygen. Like they was just chilling and the donkeys was eating. And then and somebody, the Sabians came and took them away. And and I barely got away, man. The, the, the tip of my tongue, man, I just I barely got got away. I just wanted to make sure I made it here to tell you what happened. Verse 16. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, meaning another servant. And he said, the fire of God hath fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and servants and consumed them. And I only have escaped alone to tell thee. So so now not only do we have God 
presenting Job to Satan, but Satan hadn't done anything yet. So this said, the this servant said that the fire of God hath fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants. Now you can interpret this one of two ways. If you are inclined to believe in um, fairy tales, then you might take it a little bit literally and say the fire of God hath fallen from heaven. Or if, if you are more um, clear minded individual, you might just say maybe some lightning struck and, and a tree caught on fire and the sheep burned up because sheep are stupid. And I'm not trying to offend anybody who may be a sheep, <laughs> but sheep are one of the stupidest animals on the face of the planet. They will walk right off a cliff they're that dumb they're not um they don't have big brains so they just got burned up some kind of way and another slave uh, one of slave well job slaves um came to tell them and then we go on to verse 17 so while he was yet speaking there came another so now we on the third the third slave with some some bad news and he says the chaldeans made up three bands meaning three groups and fell upon the camels and have carried them away and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only have escaped alone to tell thee. So at the same time, basically, you got um, his sheep, his camels, and his oxen getting destroyed or man, stolen. This is, worse, this is the worst news in the 6 o'clock news, man. Shit, goddamn, 6 o'clock news. Like, goddamn, <laughs> shit, man, I, I want to throw some helicopters seeing this shit. You know, some helicopters, you know, some the child beams and all this other shit. Police got called out, man. It's like, goddamn, man, 6 o'clock news is going to be able to handle this story. They were like, damn, some fucked up shit. And, and this is this is just the beginning. It, it gets worse for Job. So we go on to verse 18. While he was yet speaking, so now we're on to the fourth, the fourth piece of bad news. Another came and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only have escaped to tell thee. So now his house collapsed and killed his kids, some of them. So now, now Job stood up. He stood up, and he says, And then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. So all this bad stuff happened in Job's first. The first thing he did was was worship God. He didn't he didn't blame God. He just worshiped God. All praise due to the most high. That type of stuff. Yeah, I, I know. I can just see this Quayle. This, this is the six o'clock news. You are watching Quayle Kush at six o'clock. In today's news, we have a, we have a hurricane or a, a tornado that swept through a wind at Job's crib and killed all his kids. Uh, this is some fucked up shit for Joe. Joe, if you're out there listening, we will uh, start a um, what's that? Uh, what's that thing they, they start for people? Um, GoFundMe. GoFundMe. Yeah, <laughs> I can just imagine you put you if you if you did this actually like a little show, bro. I'm telling you, people would actually believe this shit exactly. Like, what? Hey, what the fuck just happened? When this happened? You know? So, <laughs> so oh, they, oh, if it's on the news, it must be true. You know they yeah. don't believe that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so so Joe is on the ground. He, he it says. I don't, know, I don't know how quick he, he did this, but I'm reading it as it's written. It says he shaved his head. Now, so he, I don't know what that got to do with anything because um, my preacher didn't do a good job explaining that part to me. Yeah. But yeah, apparently yeah, shaving yeah. your head got something to do with worshiping God. Yeah. He is skinhead. Yeah, that's on from Will Smith shit. He, he got <laughs> So he's... <laughs> 
So he, he got down, shaved his head and started worshiping. And he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. Ugh. The Lord gave and the Lord have taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So basically he like he like um, Sam Walton. If y'all know who Sam Walton is, he's the guy who invented Walmart, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. fucking billionaire. And Sam Walton, once upon a time, he lost a billion dollars and everybody was expecting him to be like, holy shit, I just lost a billion dollars. But you know what he said? He said, it's just money. So he's like Job, you know what I'm saying? Man, the Lord give it, then the Lord take it away. I had all that stuff and my kids did and my camels is gone, my sheep gone and everybody fucking me over. But the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. So verse 22 says, and all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. He didn't speak God. He didn't speak bad about God. He kept on worshiping. He kept on believing. So, um, not like what Satan said. Uh, Satan would have lost this bet. But we're talking about why God is gambling with Satan and why God presented this 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 game with playing with this man Job's life, even though it didn't really happen. It's just a story. But it's it's a fucked up story nonetheless. Much like all the stories in the Bible are pretty fucked up. But in this story, Job didn't sin yet. He didn't curse God at all. So let's keep it moving, y'all. Chapter two. It says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also among them to present himself before the Lord. <clears throat> so once again, we got Satan hanging out with the sons of God. It's just like if, if you saw Snoop Dogg hanging out with a group of bloods, you don't got to be a rocket scientist to conclude that they're friends. They're hanging out together. Right? Right. Look like me, man. Look like, like <laughs> me. And you know, and you know, it's just like, I'm like, who is really the con man in this? You know what I'm saying? Because it seems like Satan, you know what I'm saying, is basically really got God on the ropes. Like God, God is like saying, Oh yeah, oh yeah, but he already know the outcome, but he's actually acting like he don't know the outcome. You know what I'm saying? So he has, it's like he's trying to prove a point to Satan, which Satan probably is all knowing too. So, you know, so that would look like, I don't know, man. Well, Satan, nonetheless, I'm just, I'm not going to um, speculate because I'm not a Christian. So I'm only going to say what the Bible said. You know what I mean? Two things I know is one, the Bible says these things. And two, these things did not happen in history. That's what I know. So that's what we're going to talk about. But all I know about this verse, verse two of uh, chapter two of Job, is that Satan is hanging with the angels. So you as a Christian, if you are a Christian listening or or if you riding the fence and you don't know if you want to believe or not, you got to ask yourself, why is Satan hanging with the angels? If the angels are so good and Satan is so bad, why they hang together? Why is God playing games with Satan? They're not talking like they enemies. They talking like they buddies. They talking like me or Kwame would be talking like, hey man, I bet I could I bet I could uh get that girl number over there in the corner. And then Kwame say, Man, I bet you I bet you can't. I bet I get a number. And mm -hmm. I say, I say, okay, watch. Like that's how friends talk. That's what God and Satan are doing here. Yeah, so you know, saying this, you know, even when you bring this up to Christians, they're gonna try to explain it away. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it had something to do with Job 
or Job needs to know that God is all powerful and you know what I'm saying that he gave him all this other stuff. Why though? Job don't know nothing about this. Job just thinking some fucked up shit is happening to him. You know what I'm saying? But God and his Satan, excuse me, this God and his Satan character knows what's going on. But Job just like, damn, what the fuck going on? You know what I'm saying? She, so you know, I don't know. It just yeah. so let's let's keep going. Mm-hmm. Says, and the Lord said unto Satan. From whence comest thou? Now, now here's here's what I, I have a problem with the Bible. It's so repetitive. Why you got to keep repeating the same thing over and over, man? So we just read this in the last chapter. Am I right or am I right? I know I'm right. Mm-hmm. Just read Here's the thing, though. This is God talking, right? Yeah. The, you mean the all-knowing God? The God that know everything? Yeah. But he got he feels the need to ask the question to Satan, where you coming from? Shouldn't he already know where Satan coming from? He's God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Satan like, answered. <laughs> his crystal ball wasn't working that day. It was cloudy. And, and, and he paid God to pay his light bill, you know what I'm saying? Relax. <laughs> and Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down, just like I told you ass last time. Right? <laughs> it's the exact same thing he said last time. In verse 3, and the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? Oh, so repetitive, that there is none like him on the earth, a perfect and upright man. I mean, the nigga just worships. Still, he holds it. You know, he give me spiritual blowjobs, hand jobs anytime I want to, man. As long as I'm giving him puss, getting him some girls and some land and some oxen and shit, man. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can definitely can say this dude kisses my ass all the time. So say, you know, you know, you might end up losing a bet, bro. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely, um, I could say that about the God of the Bible. He loves ass kissing, brown nosing, um, sycophantic behavior, whatever you want to call it. Your God loves it because apparently if you ain't kissing God's ass, you go to hell for eternity. But if you kiss his ass hard enough, you get blessed for eternity, according to your your Christian faith. But let's read this repetitive uh, book one more time. <clears throat> it sounds like it sounds like a, um, I, I turned the page backwards. But no, this is how the Bible is written. They just they just repeat stuff all the time. It says a perfect and upright man. Perfect. I can't believe they actually used that word. They did this not to to somebody who was just okay. They said this man was perfect. He didn't have no flaws. All right. He was like fucking uh Dwayne Johnson of the past. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He was just kicking ass and making money all over the place and fucking bitches. And then God said, you know what? I'm 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 gonna see what what uh what's what Satan feels about this i'm gonna play a game with satan and, and fuck this dude's whole life up and show satan how cool i am basically you know what? what this is about this is one thing i don't get Kay, uh Quayley. uh god kicked this nigga out the house right so now they mm-hmm. friends again like why would satan even want to go back like where did where did where, where was satan living if god was in heaven and she god kicked the nigga out the house and it's funny that satan took two-thirds of his homeboy with him you know what i'm saying that's like on how that's like you you and, and, um you throwing a house party and Come, uh, come! You gotta get the fuck out. I take two thirds of your people that was partying with you, and then you still like what kind of god is that? You know what I'm saying? So now they now they hanging out. So I guess they must have, you know, went to the bar and had a beer. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, patch things up for them to do this type of thing, which is this is very this is very tragic and it's horrible. 
And Christians will look at this and say, oh, this is just as God exerting his will. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> mm. it's, it's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. And we're going we gonna to prove it to them tonight. Now, keep in mind, as we read in this, this did not happen for real. This is a story. And I'm going to tell you why it's in the Bible after we finish reading. Because it makes perfect sense mm -hmm. from an atheist perspective. But from a Christian perspective, you got to answer all these questions we've been asking. Why, 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 why? Why is Satan with them? Why are they acting like they're friends? Why is the Bible so fucking repetitive? Why is he doing this to a man that's perfect? All these questions are up in the air if you believe it as a Christian. But if you look at it if from a point of non-belief, Oh, it'll make so much sense to you. So let's keep going. It says he done all this stuff. This man feared God and he hated evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. So hold on. Now we don't we don't uh, turn God. Well, no, we don't expose God as a liar. A lot of y'all probably didn't catch it, but I'm gonna read it again. God just lied. He said, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. But we just read in the first chapter, it was God's idea. Satan didn't do, Satan didn't come up with this idea. God presented Job to Satan. He said, have you considered my servant Job? Remember? It was God's idea. Satan didn't go to God and say, hey, man, what's up with your boy, Job? God went to Satan and said, have you considered my servant, Job? Now God is saying, look what you made me do to him. But it was his idea. Remember? <laughs> you know what? So God, is like, God has per multiple personalities like Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, I think Satan, God and Satan is the same way. You know, they're not real. But, you know, it's like God is doing this to himself or, you know. I don't know, bro. It, it, don't don't try to make too much sense out of it because it don't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, verse four. And Satan answered the Lord and said, "Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life." So he said, "Yea, like um, you know, West Coast what? Ice Cube, yea, yea." <laughs> Wait a minute, skin for skin. <laughs> Satan replied. <laughs> He yay. said, <laughs> but, but put forth thine hand now and yeah. touch his bone and flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. Okay, so now what just happened is um, Satan just raised the stakes of the bet. He said, okay, you did all that to his stuff. You know what I'm saying? I know that's, that's what kind of what he bet the first time. I bet that if you messed up his stuff, he was going to turn his back on you. But, you know what I mean? He didn't. But I bet you if you fuck with him, if you touch his body, his bone, his flesh, oh, oh, that's going to do it right there. That's going to do it right there. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he is in thine hand. Only spare his life. So now all of this stuff that has been done to Job so far has been done by God, according to your Bible. Not my words. This is what the Bible says. Now we at the point where he, he lends it to Satan. So he said, okay. I give you the floor. Now, now you you try. You do something. You do whatever you want to him. Just don't kill him. Basically. You so can do whatever you want to him. Just don't Satan kill him. To, uh, so Satan went to Suge Knight. And Suge Knight gave uh, Satan a, a vial of blood with AIDS in it. And uh, he gave... Hold on. 
<laughs> I, I'm being stupid right now, but yeah, man. <laughs> that's what's up. He's eating, man. <laughs> he did him like that. He's eating, man. He's eating eat in, in this verse, man. And then it says, <laughs> So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. So now, back back to what I was saying about reading and comprehension. My high school education <laughs> leads me to believe that Satan can't do nothing without the permission of God. Because, I mean, if he's Satan and he's so evil and he wanted to do all this evil stuff, he could have been doing this stuff. But he did he did dare do any of this stuff until God said, OK, now you can go do it. You know what I mean? Because if he could do it without his permission, he would have just done it and then been to God and say, look what I did to your boy. He cursing your name now. I, I knew it, but he had to get permission first. So when all y'all talk about, oh, the devil doing this, Satan, they work, Satan, they work. Is it really Satan doing it or, or is Satan just following the orders of, of God? According mm -hmm. to your Bible, Satan don't do nothing without God saying go. Now that's, you, I mean that's reading and comprehension, folks. It don't say that, but you have to comprehend what you're reading. And so that's, that's like that's like you know when a tornado happens and um, somebody you know a lot of there's a lot of destruction around this house. But have you seen in Texas where people put a big ass sign and said, "Thank you, Lord, for not destroying my house." Like, <laughs> like I don't do that. <laughs> Like, wait a minute, this is how your neighbor just got killed and this their house fucked up, but you thanking God for not putting your shit up? Like, see, this is the thing. They said, well, the devil caused that tornado. I said, well, ain't God the author of life and the author of everything and shit like that? But, you know, I, I yeah. Yeah, man, that's that's uh, another problem that I have with the way Christians speak because I honestly don't think that they intend to come off the way they come off. They 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 then when they say like oh thank god for saving my house i don't think they understand what they really saying like if a plane crash and there's one survivor and he said oh thank god because he spared my life what what you what you're actually saying is god could have saved everybody on the plane but he didn't but he saved you so you're special some kind of way so you're better than everybody else who died that's what you're saying you know what i mean and but, to the audience what qualey just said is very relevant to the end of the story keep reading <laughs> but, but we know we know that that's that's not true though as much <clears throat> let me put it like this we can take away the fact that it's true or not it's, it's um it makes you a better person to not say things like that it was it would be uh better and you would come off less condescending and less like an asshole if you just say oh ain't i lucky ain't ain't i lucky that my house didn't get destroyed ain't i lucky that i survived that plane crash but no, you say I'm better than everybody else because God like me. He ain't like them too much. That's what you're saying when you say thank God. You you save me instead of saving everybody. Yeah. And then okay, verse eight, chapter two. If y'all don't know what we had, we in the Bible, Job chapter two, verse eight. And he took him a posture with which to scrape himself, and he sat down among the ashes. So. <clears throat> Satan is basically um, lushing it in, in the the burnt uh, spoils of of what he uh, just did to to Job. You know what I'm saying? So he's just like enjoying this. Then said to his wife, "Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die." 
But so his own woman is telling him, man, look, you, you on some fucked up shit. I don't know who, what bitch you was fucking, but goddamn, you is not finna sit here and just take this shit and thank God is still blessing you and you still love God. So, uh, nigga, you need to do something. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I ain't going to change. I ain't going to be able to deal with this no more. So I'm about, I'm about to go across across town to Ranger's house or something like that. You go on your own, nigga. So that's yeah, what it's like. You, you know how it is, man. You know yeah. how it is when, when something happened. A lot of times, men... It, they, they might not care. They might be indifferent about it or something. But if they woman come to them and they say, "Oh, you gonna let him talk to you like that? Oh, you, oh, you you can't stand up for me? Oh, oh, you it's, oh now they charged up because they like, oh snap! I got my wife is talking shit. I gotta I gotta do yeah, something. Man, She's, I, talking. <laughs> She's talking. She's talking. So y'all know how it go when the wife when the wife start start getting in in a man ear. They make them do something right. Yep, because of that, that V-box. You know, right. Women, you know, <laughs> that, that, that vagina, that, uh, that viscosity. You know, it's a powerful drug. Yeah. So, <clears throat> verse 10, he said to her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall not receive evil? And this did not Job sin with his lips. So Job responded to her and said, woman, you sound stupid as hell. What you think God gonna bless us and he ain't gonna harm us? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I would think so. He's God. But you know what I'm saying? He ain't he ain't blame nothing on Satan yet. He's saying God did all this, but Job is just okay with it. And he's saying in in this did Job sin did not sin with his lips. So the Bible is saying Job is right about what he said. They the Bible, whoever wrote this book of the Bible is agreeing with Job. So in verse 11, it goes on to say, now, when Job's three friends heard all of this evil that had come upon him, they came every one of from his own place. Eliphaz, the Timonite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Niamhite. And I apologize if I pronounce any of that wrong, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and comfort him. So, oh, these is niggas. These is all yeah. for <laughs> Squad came through. And they said, man, we got your back, man. You fucked up. You got boys all on your skin, man. Your wife talking shit. But we got your back. Man, we told you, man. And also, man, we told you not to fuck that bitch on 12th Street, nigga. Why, why the hell did you go down to 12th Street and fuck that hoe? Like, nigga, the joke, like, nah, nigga, I don't even know how I got these boys, man. Shit, I don't fuck, you know. But, you know. <laughs> squad is there, you know, to look after them and shit, you know. You know what I'm saying? And they came from, from all different different lands and stuff. Yeah. And it goes on to say in verse 12, and they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not. They lifted up their voice and wept and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they couldn't even recognize him is basically what they were saying. He was so fucked up. They they couldn't even recognize him by by, by looking at him from from a distance, it was like, damn, who was that? And then he got closer, like, oh shit, that's Joe. That nigga looked terrible. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days, seven nights, and none spoke a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So at first, he was saying, oh, oh, it's cool, it's cool. God give us and God take us away. But now apparently he's so distraught that his boys. Can't even speak to him for seven days, seven nights. They ain't had nothing to say. They ain't had no words. They was by his side, but they ain't say nothing. They just let him uh, wallow in his soul. So, verse 12, they like, when they saw him, they like, damn! 
Yeah, yeah, you you got the you got to throw that smoke in Craig in there. Damn, what the hell is wrong with this? For real though. <laughs> yeah, so they was all they were doing some boys to me. Although we go to the end of the road, they was singing with him and everything, man. They trying to lift this nigga up, but he was still trying to, you know, love on this God and say thank you, God, for all this all the things you done for me. Even though you fucked me up, I know it's you, but you know. Oh man, seven days and seven nights they sat with his ass and didn't say nothing, though. No. They just sat with him. You know, and Joe, then we get to uh, yeah, they sat with him back there. You know, Job, Job apparently didn't pay the cable bill, so we think we're just sitting in the in the dark, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> playing, I guess, cards or something. And no one, no, nobody said a word to him, They're like, what the fuck we doing here? You know, I got some bitches to fuck, you know, fucking with this nigga. This nigga over here sick and shit. And I'm, I can't believe I'm sitting down, man. Shit, I don't cancel my whole weekend with my family and shit just to come see you. And then a lot of them, oh. they probably feel guilty if they leave him. If they leave, they're going to feel guilty. It's like, hey, man, Job is our boy, man. He did loan me that $12 one time. I need a little bread. <laughs> Baloney and shit. So I'm going to stay for a little bit. Then I'm going to leave. <laughs> Go ahead, man. I'm going to let you read. I just had to throw my little two cents in there. <laughs> yeah. And then we on, we on chapter three. Verse one, it says, after this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. So finally, Job starts talking. He said, let the day perish wherein I was born and the night in which was said, there is a man child conceived. Let the day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, the darkness sees upon it. Let it not be joined until the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of months. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it and curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight therefore be dark. Let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day, because it shut not up the doors from my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from my eyes. Verse 11. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees precede me or why the breast that I should suck for now? Should I have lain still and been quiet, I should have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of earth who built desolate places for themselves or with princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or as a hidden, untimely birth, I would not have been as infants who never saw light. They're wicked. They're the wicked seized from troubling and the weary be at rest. They're the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there, and the servants is free from his master. Why is light given to him that is in misery and life unto the bitter in soul who long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more for, than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they came when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man? Whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in for my sign cometh before I eat 
and my ruins are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is to come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. So basically, in all that, Job is saying, man, I wish I was never even fucking born. You should have just you should have just let me die when I was when I was coming out of my mama belly, man. Why you let me get all this stuff if you were just gonna take it away? You like even even the the sinners and the oppressors, they they um dead in a place where they don't have to worry about the oppressor no more. But I'm sitting here suffering. Oh, why me? So now Job is is saying this is fucked up. Now nah, you know what I'm saying you took all my shit, but now nah, this now you done gone too far. This is this is fucked up. In English, that's what it's saying. So then Eliphaz, the Tamanite, answered and said, If we attempt to commune with thee, will God thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upheld him that was failing, that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest, it touches thee. And thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and thy uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I prayed thee, whoever perished, being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen that they plow iniquity and sow wickedness, reap the same. By the blast of God they perish. And by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions be broken. The old lion perisheth for lack of prey and the stout lion's whelps are scattered abroad. Now a thing was secretly brought to me and mine ear received a little thereof and thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falleth upon on men. Fear came upon me and trembled, which made all my bones shake. Then the spirit passed before my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It's still still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was a silence and I heard a voice saying, shall mortal man be more than be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants and his angels he charged with folly he must less in them that dwell in the house of clay whose foundation is in the dust who are crushed before the moth they are destroyed from morning to evening they perish forever without any regarding it doth not their excellence which is in them go away they die even without wisdom so now the bible's getting all poetic and Shakespearean type. <clears throat> but this is um Eliphaz, the Temanite, answering Job when he was saying, oh, man, this is fucked up. So he's saying, man, you can't be, you was doing so good. What you think you was going to be like, like God? You think you're going to be better than God? And he goes on to say, call now. If there be any that will answer thee, to which of the saints would thou turn? For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. His children are far from safety, and they are crushed in the gate. Neither is there any to deliver them. 
his harvest the hungry eateth up and taketh it even out of the thorns and the robber swalloweth up their substance swalloweth up their substance or you could have just said swallow although affliction cometh not forth of the dust neither doth trouble spring out of the ground yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward i would seek unto god and unto god would i commit my cause he doeth great things and unsearchable marvelous things without number he giveth rain upon earth and sends waters upon fields to set up high those that are low that those who mourn may be exalted to safety he disappointed the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. Does he really, though? Does God do that stuff? Because I, I could have sworn people fuck shit up all the time with, with stuff they make with their hands. People build bombs. People shoot guns. But according to this this guy that's talking to Job, he said, God um, disappointed the devices of the crafty. So their hands cannot perform their enterprise. So something, something not right here. And he goes on to say, <clears throat> he take up the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel on the forward is carried headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope in the noonday as in the night. But he saveth the poor from the sword, from the mouth and from the hand of thy mighty of the mighty. So the poor hath hope and iniquity stoppeth her mouth. Behold, happy is the man who God corrective. Therefore, despise not thou the chastising of the almighty. For he maketh sore and bindeth up. He woundeth and his hands make whole. He shall deliver thee in six troubles. Yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. In famine he shall redeem thee from death and in war from the power of the sword thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongues neither shalt thou be afraid of destruction when it cometh <clears throat> at destruction of the famine thou shalt laugh neither shalt thou be afraid of the beast of the earth for thou shalt be in a league with the stones of the field and the beast of the field shall be at peace with thee and thou shalt know that thy tabernacle shall be in peace and thou shalt visit thy habitation and shalt not sin thou shalt know also that thy seed shall be great and thine offspring as the grass of the earth thou shalt come to thy grave at a full age as a shock of corn cometh in his season lo this we have searched out so it is hear it and know thou it for thy good so this guy is saying man god does good things god does bad things but in the end you gonna come out on top, so so don't don't uh scorn God and don't sin. Is is the advice that Job got from his friend? <clears throat> but chapter six says that Job answered back, "Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together, for now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words are swallowed up." For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison thereof drinketh up my spirit, and the terrors of God set themselves in array against me. Doth the wild ass bray when he hath grass, or loweth the ox over his father? 
Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? The thing that my soul refused to touch are my distressing meat. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Then should I yet have comfort, yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh of brass? Is not my help in me and is wisdom driven quite from me? To him that is afflicted, pity should be shown by his friend, but he forsaketh the fear of the almighty. My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook and the stream of brooks they pass away which are blackest by reason of the ice and wherein the snow is hid when in time they wax warm they vanish when it is hot they are consumed out of their place the paths of their way are turned aside they go to nothing and perish the troops of Tima looked the companies of Sheba waited for them they were confounded because they had hoped they came thither and were ashamed for now ye are nothing ye are casting down and are afraid did i say bring unto me or give a reward for me of your substance or deliver me from the enemy's hands or redeem me from the hand of the mighty teach me and i will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein i have erred how forceful are right words but what doth you your arguing reprove do ye imagine to reprove words and the speeches of one of the desperate, which as our wind, yea, we overwhelm the fatherless and ye dig a pit of your for your friend. Now, therefore, be content. Look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I lie. Return, I pray you, let there be no iniquity yet return again. My righteousness is in it. Is there iniquity on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? So he's saying, <clears throat> you think I don't know the difference between when somebody doing me right and somebody doing me wrong? Basically. All right, so uh, let me see. We got somebody backstage. I want to bring them in, even though we're not um, to the end of the chapter. Let me see. They might have something to add. So, biblical, Christological, you are on the line. What's going on with you? Um, not much. I'll, I won't be no longer than 30 seconds with this brute fact. Firstly, I like, would like to say that I have a YouTube channel, Biblical Christological Account, FTW. My brute fact to you is that you can't destroy our Biblical Christological God. What's my response to that brute fact? Uh, my response would be, 
I agree because before I destroy something, it has to be shown to actually exist. And you all haven't made the burden, met the burden of proof on your biblical God actually existing. So how can I destroy it? Biblically, when you use the proper noun of our biblical Christological God, you have to appeal to the pure actuality of our biblical Christological God. So to summarize that, because our biblical Christological God is omnitude, it requires divine revelation for an omnitude God to be understood within your finitely cuspidated vessel. And because you have used the word exist within your last premise, the word exist is a verb. A verb is a doing word. Ergo, you have meta-ontologically presupposed the divinity of our biblical Christological God because you referred because just because our biblical Christological God doesn't do a specific thing, that's not a defeater, or in other words, a destroyer to our biblical Christological God. So my brute fact still stands, and then I'll yield my time over to you, is that you can't destroy our biblical Christological God. What's thy response to that brute fact? Well, it's not a brute fact, you know what I mean? Just because I use the word exist doesn't mean that uh, what you said is true, you know what I mean? Exist, yeah, it's a verb, but that doesn't mean that I have to have some type of divine understanding just to to know if, if the uh, God is real or not. So when we say something exists, that means that it is independent of, of anyone's belief. It is actually a real thing, you know what I mean? Like um, the moon that actually exists, you know, and you don't have to believe the moon exists. It can be demonstrated. And that's, that's why you should believe it because it can be demonstrated. So, but be, whether you believe in the moon or not, it it is there. So for your God, again, I don't have to um, disprove that your God exist and at first you have to prove that it does and then it's my job to tell you whether you're right or wrong or whether i agree or not so what the purpose of this episode is is to talk about why the uh god that the bible talks about doesn't stand up to the things that people say about that god so they say that god is all-knowing and god is good but when we read the bible we find out that god is in cahoots with satan who's supposed to be bad and he's apparently not all knowing because he's asking questions like where are you coming from. So what what is your response to that brute fact? Well, biblically, you brought up a lot of points there. Um, to address your last point is that our biblical Christological God is a personal God. Ergo, Z can suppress his omniscience. That's why he asks questions like, where are you? That's why he asks questions, because he's a personal God. It doesn't mean he's not omniscient. Um, and to address your other points is that you're lying when you say you don't know God because you are subconsciously appealing to the 
omnitudinous of our biblical Christological God when you use the proper noun God. And because you brought up you brought up the point with the moon. The moon isn't in a different category to our biblical Christological God because the moon is finitely cuspidated. Our biblical Christological God is absolute slash omnitude. Ergo, every time you use the proper noun God, you're subconsciously appealing to the pure actuality, or in other words, the actus puras, which is a philosophical Latin term for the absolute perfection of our meta-ontotheologically, omnibenevolent, eternally ethereal, immutably ultimate, biblical, Christological God. So my brute fact still stands is that biblically you can't destroy our biblical, Christological God. What's thy response to that brute fact? All right. I'm uh, going to just lay it on you straight and flat, as they say. Um. Honestly, about half of the words you just used, I don't know what they mean. And I love words. I'm an avid reader. So if I lost you, I can guarantee you that about 90% of the people listening have no idea what you're talking about. So if it's that confusing for, for me or anybody to understand what your God is, is about, he's not. I don't think he's doing a very good job presenting himself or itself whatever it is that you claim and you made a um a very bold claim when you say that um we're lying when we say we don't know god you know what i mean because first of all it's a bit uh condescending because i'm not lying I, I i don't believe in things that have not been demonstrated to exist i don't believe in santa claus nor the tooth fairy nor the Loch Ness monster for the exact same reason why I don't believe in your God claim, because they have no evidence for their existence. So I don't need a um, a philosophical argument to validate the existence of the moon. So why should I need one to validate the existence of anything else? You know, so um, if you can dumb it down for us a little bit, and say what you're saying, you know what I mean, in a way that they can be digested by anybody, then maybe I can answer your question a little bit better. But basically, um, I think you're shifting the burden of proof and you want um, you want us to justify why we don't believe when in actuality, the burden of proof is always on the person making the, the positive claim that something is, not the person saying that something isn't. Because my reason for saying something isn't is because there isn't evidence for it. So I don't need to prove that there isn't evidence that you have to prove that there is. So what is your um, evidence for for your God that you claim is a brute fact? If it's so brute and it's such a fact, it shouldn't be that complicated to explain it to me. I shouldn't need a, a, um, a dictionary or a degree in English in order to comprehend that something exists. So dumb it down for us. And explain to me why you think your God exists. Biblically, when you express or articulate the proper noun God, 
it takes divine revelation for an absolute God who contemporaneously is zoetic, absolute, ultimate, etc., for all those attributes to be intelligible simultaneously of each other requires divine revelation, which comports with Romans one twenty in the Bible. So for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So you have been meta-ontologically presupposing the divinity of our biblical Christological God within your starting premise because it takes divine revelation for, for said omnitude God, our biblical Christological God, to be understood. Um, biblically, you brought up points about santa claus the moon etc you can be neutral about those positions because they are those propositions are finitely cuspidated our biblical christological god is omnitude slash infinitude in size ergo it's it's impossible to be neutral on an omnitude god so the I don't have to prove the existence of our biblical Christological God. I merely am evangelizing the awesomeness of our biblical Christological God. And so, so is, um, is God is God all powerful? Can He do anything? Yeah, he, our biblical Christological God is an ultimate God. So He's all powerful, right? He can do pretty much anything He wants. He can potentially do anything, but he would he chooses not to do all things. So if he if he if he chose to hypothetically, if God chose to create a rock so heavy that even he couldn't lift it, he could do that, right? Biblically, um, this can be easily debunked because he can limit. He just say he he, he creates a heavy rock with one hand and then he limits his omnipotence with his other hand. So he can lift the rock up at the same time. He cannot lift the rock up. So that question or that argument is a contradiction because he can do both at the same time. And and what is your basis for, for making that claim? How do you know this? How do I know what? How do you know that God can limit his power? Well, he would have to, to interact with he Because he's omnitude, he, would, he has to limit his power in order to be, in order for us to understand um, his existence because he is omnitude and because he asks questions he he clearly limits his omniscience as he is a personal god so he asks questions even though he knows the answer to so he may be intentionally limiting his omniscience or he may not but he can do 
he he is God, so he can choose to. It says in it says clearly in the Bible, New Testament in regards to the lake of fire. He says, um, "Depart from me, I never knew you." So he he's choosing to not to know people. It doesn't mean that he is not omniscient. He's just he has his reasons not to know certain people. Um, so my brute fact still stands is that it is impossible to destroy our biblical Christological God. What's our response to that? The response hasn't changed. Um, you, you you have to prove what you're saying. You're saying you're making a claim here. You're saying it's impossible to uh, disprove your biblical God. I'm saying God hasn't been proven to to exist at all. So that's like saying uh, it's impossible to disprove that there's a teacup orbiting Mars. Is is a common um, atheist analogy. So if there is a teacup orbiting Mars, which it probably isn't, but you can't disprove that. We don't have the the means to do that. So what you would have to do for someone to believe that there is a teacup orbiting Mars is you would have to show evidence for that until you do that it's not up to me to disprove that i'm yeah, just simply i'm just simply in a state of non-believing that it's true because it hasn't been demonstrated so if if uh what you were saying was a brute fact we wouldn't be having this conversation because yeah, it would be it would be a fact right biblically like i'm assuming you're appealing to russell's teapot but a teapot is just a label for a finite, a finite particular, so you can be neutral about certain propositions in relation to finite particulars, but you can't be neutral on our biblical Christological God because He is infinitude in size, aka unlimited in size, aka omnipresent slash infinite in size slash absolute slash omnitude, etc. So it takes, I'm just reiterating my earlier point, is that it takes divine revelation for a God who has multiple attributes to be intelligible within our finite vessels. So this goes, this ties us back to Romans 1.20. So... You're still presupposing the divinity of our biblical Christological God because your starting premise presupposes Z and your conclusion is the contrary to our biblical Christological God because the word exist is a doing word. So just because our God is not, he does not exist. So he's that's not like saying that. that's like saying somebody does not swim. Like the word exists. That's a semantic word. It's just a word for all words are doing. just words. But- it's just an action word. Just because our <laughs> biblical Christological God doesn't do a specific thing, that's not a defeater because your starting premise presupposes the divinity of Z. So your meta you your meta ontology comports with the meta ontotheology of our biblical Christological God, which ties us back to the Bible. 
So my brute fact still stands is that you can't. All right, all right let me let me let me see something. If you um, does the Santa Claus exist? Biblically, Santa Claus is a is, is to you is Santa Claus a label for a finite particular? I'm just I'm just asking you to in in your mind does Santa Claus exist? Well, I'm asking you a clarifying question. Is Santa Claus to you a label for a finite particular? The answer has to be yes. So answer, all right, assume that, assume that answer is yes, and then answer my question. Does Santa Claus exist? Well, you have to, I'm asking you a clarifying question. Is, is Santa Claus to you a label for a finite in size particular? Santa Claus to me is is a, a fictional character. That's it. Yeah, but biblical, it's a true via the law of excluded middle. It's either A or not A. So is your question, my clarifying question in relation to your question is that do you presuppose that Santa Claus is finite in size? I don't presuppose anything. I'm, I'm just simply asking you, do you believe that Santa Claus exists? Whether, whether he's, whether he's infinite or, or finite or, or whatever, does that thing exist? Biblically, well, I'm just, well, it's very, it's vague. The word Santa Claus is too vague in this sort of um, discourse. So you have you need to answer my clarifying question. Do you label Santa Claus to be a finite in size particular? No. Does Santa well, Claus then, exist? Well but then well biblically Santa Claus is not a label to our biblical Christological God. Because Does that's the only it exists. Biblically because you said that Santa Claus is not a label for a finite and size particular, your only alternative is our biblical Christological God. However, the name of our biblical Christological God is not Santa Claus. So I'm not asking about God right now. I'm asking about Santa Claus, you know, St. Nick. Biblically, there can only be one omnitude slash absolute particular securing all sepiternal actualities. So because you rejected that Santa Claus is not finite in size, for the sake of this discourse, you only have one alternative. So you're appealing to a God... However, you are appealing to a different God, which goes against one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus that do not worship other gods. So you're implicitly appealing to our biblical Christological God. What's thy response to that? I disagree wholeheartedly, man. I think you um I think you're just making stuff up. And you're making a lot of claims that don't have any validity to it. But somebody with a, a, a big vocabulary like you should be able to answer a simple yes or no question. Do you believe that Santa Claus exists? 
biblically, I know finite and size particulars exist. So your question requires you to elaborate on the attributes of said particular. So as the, I said, the attributes earlier, are they don't they don't matter for 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 the point that I'm making. I I just need you to answer the question. You can you can assume any attributes you want to assume. Or just pretend I said something and then answer the question. Well, my clarifying well, you answered my clarifying question and you said that the Santa clause is not finite in size. So your only alternative via I say that because I, I don't believe Santa Claus exists. So if you ask me, is Santa Claus anything but non-existent? The answer is no. So, because isn't he's not real? He doesn't exist. But what about you? Do you believe Santa Claus exists? Biblically, Santa Claus. It uh, no, because Santa Claus is not mentioned in the Bible. So uh, your answer is no. Santa Claus does not exist. No. Well, I'm make. I'm assuming that you're. We are talking about the same Santa Claus for the sake of this discourse. So my question is no, because Santa Claus is not mentioned in the Bible. So my well, brief I mean, I, I'm not mentioned in the Bible, and I, I I clearly exist. I mean, you're talking to me. Biblically, you are a finite in size, particular. I mean, you go to Genesis one one. God created the heavens and the earth, and then He was but, hovering over the surface of the water. But is that actually true? If what is true, is that what you just said is true? Did God create the heavens and the earth when He was floating over the water? Yeah, biblically, the the, the, the tangible matter is irreducibly complex with height, depth, and width. Therefore, for those three particulars to spawn into existence simultaneously of each other requires a designer. There's no getting around that. So this ties us back to the brute fact is that our biblical Christological God is invincible and they cannot be destroyed by an external particular. What's our response to that? Well, nobody's um, attempting to destroy your biblical chronological God or Christological God. What we what we are doing is um, exposing the facts of the matter here. So would you say that uh, the three dimensions, uh, height, width and depth can't pop into existence without a creator? Um, I would disagree. And you might want to uh, read the book A Universe from Nothing by Lawrence Krauss if you haven't already. And maybe you can get some insight on why I disagree, because um, he got a, a good perspective on how things can pop into existence without being created. But we don't even know that that's something that happened, that height, width and depth popped into existence. You know, we, we don't know that. That's something that Christians believe so that they can say, oh, then there, there, there's a creator. But only thing we know for sure is that the universe expanded. The universe may very well be eternal. It may have always existed, not needing a creator. So that I, I will reject that um, statement that you made that the thing popped into existence. And I also reject that if they did pop into existence, there must be 
therefore be some creator because that just leads us down to infinite regress because i could say well is is god does he have dimensions or where did he come from or where did it come from and we get into an infinite regress of of things uh being created and then that thing being created and that thing being created at some point you have to get to something that wasn't created so if you put if you posit a god to explain where the universe came from you haven't answered the question of where do things come from you just you just bumped it down one step and now we got to ask the same questions that we were asking about the universe now we got to ask those questions about god what is its nature where did it come from what, what does it do what is it made of so if you just stop at the universe it gets a whole hell of a lot simpler because you're not assuming something that has been demonstrated to explain something that you don't know that would be an argument from ignorance Biblically, you brought up multiple points there. Um, you keep saying point, biblically, like what? What? What is? Why do we care what? What? what happens biblically? Well, hang on, let allow me to respond. To I, I've allowed you a lot of time to respond, man. But we got to move on uh, with the show, and for for time's sake, and, and trust trust me, I appreciate you uh, calling in, and you you can come back anytime you want to. But we got to move on with, with the show, and I don't I don't want the people to fall asleep. You know what I mean? Because we, I don't think we're getting anywhere. I'm, with about, I'm refuting your points. So for something, you appealed to Lawrence Krauss. So for something to spawn into existence, simultaneously. So for for height, depth, and width to spawn into existence simultaneously of each other, instantly requires a, a designer, a cause. So and then you appeal to. Hold on, now. that's two different things, sir. You said a designer or a cause. That's two different things. The same thing. So. No, 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 no. A designer is intelligent by 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 definition. It's a, a designer. You have a consciousness, a conscious designer. But a cause, cause can be anything. You know, if lightning strikes a tree and the tree gets on fire, the cause was the lightning. But that doesn't no, mean but that we're the at the, we're the at fire. The very, no, we're at this at the earliest start. The terminus aequo. Terminus aequo is a Latin term for the earliest starting point to a to set proposition. So, in relation to the universe, for 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 matter to spawn into existence of height, depth, and width requires an antecedent cause for particular A, particular B, and particular C which are values to height, depth, and width, requires an antecedent eternal mind. And then you appealed to, well, what if it didn't have a cause? Well, you, that's fallacious again because tangible matter, as we see today, is finite in size. So you need an absolute in size starting point. So tangible matter doesn't have the prerequisites to have always existed because it, it can't be absolute. And then you um, made a claim of an expansion. You made a claim of an expansion. So you appealed uh, to the gimmicky Big Bang um, uh, gimmick. Oh, so for it to be expanding requires an expander who is external <laughs> to the singularity. So you're actually appealing to panantheism that's a physical deity, so that's fallacious. So that's they. That's a, a physical a god with a physical and an immaterial um, attributes. 
However, physical deities are subjected to the law of non-contradiction. Uh, I can go on that f- later on, but to address your other points. Um, do, you, that, do, you, do you reject science? No. But you reject the Big Bang. Well, Mike, you ha- you're presupposing. So, do you, my clarifying question to you in relation to the Big Bang gimmick: Do you presuppose that physical matter came into existence? No, I just I just said that um, the universe may very well be eternal. Well, then I don't. That's I don't know that the universe. It's not. The, the universe is a label for a finite and size particular. So the cosmos, uh, and the, the, the word cosmos. I disagree with that. You might want to look word, up. You the, might want to look up the word universe and what it what it means. The, it, it literally word, means everything in existence. But what word, I'm saying is is the matter in the universe because you said that the the matter is a finite particular or whatever. So let me ask you: Can can matter be destroyed? Is it going to go away someday? Yeah, matter can be destroyed How? by our biblical Christological God. So How? That's just who he is. I mean, just close your well, eyes. Well, yeah, as you if you define the God that can do anything, if, if you just want to you just want to put a catch all that doesn't exist into every question that I ask you, well then that's just a, a, a magic the, genie. I could say the same thing. I could say I'm God and and I got as much evidence for me being God as you do for this this God thing that you're talking about. He can he could just do anything. So I asked you, can matter be destroyed? And you said, yeah, I asked how. And you said, well, if God did it, he, he could do it. You don't know how, but God can do anything. But that's just a claim that you're making. No, this can be tested. I mean, yeah, we are made and we are made. In that's why I asked you the question, because tests have shown that matter cannot be destroyed. It's actually uh, one of the laws of uh i forget which which um scientists came up with it but um energy cannot be created or destroyed no it can't create itself so but if you close your eye and use your your mind's eye you can visualize anything in your mind so that's how god would create things like god is a mind he is a consciousness and a mind so the mind is what we see within ourselves, all these images, and then our consciousness is the outside perspective. So we are looking into our mind via our consciousness. So the consciousness is even more complex than our mind as it's pretty much ad infinitum. So that's a mind bender for you. So that's if you close your eyes... That's that's that would be God's perspective, but I take the position that because when I close my mind, I see specks of light and darkness. Not that I'm evil or anything, but I see there are gaps in between the specks of light that I see. But for God's perspective, I take the position that He His mind contains a fire, so. And then he created, and then if you go to Genesis 1-1, he created, he created a different dimension before creating the matter. So that's, that's how you should see things is that 
if you when you close your eyes, that perspective you see and that that ability to visualize anything, that's who God is. But the difference between us and God is that God is absolute. So his mind is pretty much infinite in size. Where we are limited. So Okay. And then and then you made a you're not God because you're you're asking God wouldn't argue against himself. God is According to you, he, he he would, he could he could and he would. But I I want to I want to ask you um a, a clarifying question of my own. Can a mind exist without a a brain or something like a brain? Yeah, a mind can exist without a physical it, it, medium. It, it, give me an example. Well, the our biblical Christological God. These the, an example these, that, that actually exists, please. He does. Our biblical Christological God is doing things. What is he doing? Well, he is watching us, for starters. Where's the evidence of this? Uh, because he is omnitude. That's just who God is. Because he is omnitude, he, can, he knows all things. So... He may suppress a few things, like in the Bible he says that he doesn't know certain people. So this, all this, you're still presupposing our biblical Christological God. So this just goes back to what I said earlier, is that whoever is going around saying that they don't know God are just liars, because you can't be neutral about our biblical Christological God, because uh, you're appealing to the world. Was going around saying that there is a, a biblical God that actually in existence is a liar, because they know they don't have any reason to say that other than they believe it. You don't have a good reason for me to believe is- that your God actually exists. Now I asked you, can a mind exist without something like a brain? You said, yes, I asked for an example and you said, well, you're God, but that's, 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 that's neither here nor there because you know, I don't believe in this God. I'm asking you for an example that we both know is real. And we, just like I I use the moon, something that you can't refute to make my point. I'm asking you to help me understand how a mind can exist without a brain and use something that actually exists. An example of a mind existing without a brain because it is is my understanding that in order to have something like a mind or consciousness the ability to think you have to have something like a brain or ganglion or a, a nervous system you cannot have a mind without that physical property so does god have a brain i'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to say no because you gave God as an example of something that doesn't have a brain but has a no, mind. This, this clarifying question refutes your argument is that, well, I don't have to ask you in a clarifying, in a clarification form, is that a mind doesn't have edges. And so that's what you need. That's a prerequisite for the eternality of God is that you need a starting point without any edges. So a mind doesn't have an edge. So our biblical Christological God 
meets the prerequisites to be eternal because he is not cuspidated. So that's the proof there, and you're still presupposing our biblical Christological God. So my brute fact still stands from earlier is that you can't destroy our biblical Christological God. Well, you could say I'm presupposing uh, all day long, but I don't think I'm presupposing anything. Um, I've been reading the chat, and apparently the people in the chat don't don't agree with you either. But uh, I'm just trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out like what 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 where you're getting your conclusions from. Like you say, okay, a mind doesn't have an edge, but where do you think a mind comes from? What comes first, the brain or the mind? Well, hang on. Let me address your other point is that throughout this entire discourse, every time you say the word, the proper noun God, you are subconsciously appealing to the pure actuality of our biblical Christological God for a zoetic, ethereal, ultimate, and absolute God to be understood within your finite and sized vessel requires divine revelation, which again well, comports with Romans one twenty. Are you um are you new to the channel or have you watched our stream before? Biblically, your clarifying question is not a destroyer to our biblical uh, Christological God. Uh, bro, I just I, I want to know um is this your first time tuning in? Biblically, your clarifying question is not a destroyer to our biblical Christological God. To answer my question. Okay. Got to answer the question, man. I wanted to have a dialogue with you, but if you're not going to be honest and answer straight up, you know, easy, simple questions like, yeah, this is my first time tuning in, or no, nah, I watched y'all show last week. Like, bro, that's all I want to know. Is this, is this your first time watching? Because if you had tuned in, you would, you would already know the answer to to what you're saying, you will know my response to your to your statement. I'm not presupposing anything. Um, you're the one making the claims here, and just because I say God, first of all, you got to understand that I'm in my 30s, and I have heard many people describe what they believe a God to be. So when I say God, I'm speaking to the people of on their level of what they think a God is. I don't mean I have to believe it. Just like I could talk about Santa Claus. I could say stuff like Santa Claus is a piece of shit. And you know what? When I was a Christian, I used to say this. Santa Claus is a piece of shit because he's stealing Chris Christmas from Jesus. That's how I used to think when I was a, a Christian. But that don't mean I believe in Santa Claus. You know what I mean? I'm just saying from the stories about Santa Claus and the way that people revere Santa Claus and teach it to their kids and Christmas is all about Santa Claus and kids don't give a fuck about Jesus. Santa Claus is a piece of shit from, from my early Christian perspective when I, when I was a child, that don't mean that I believe in Santa Claus. So when I say God, this and God, that I'm not presupposing to God, I'm speaking to you on your level. Cause I know that you believe that God exists. So when I let you back in, I want you to answer my question and see if we can continue this conversation like, you know, adults have a conversation. I ask you a question. You answer it. You ask me a question. I answer it. We go back and forth. That's how conversations work. You don't just say something that you want to say when I just asked you a question. So, sir, is this your first time tuning into the show? 
Um, hang on, you brought so many points there. I just asked you a simple question, man. Is this your first time tuning in to this channel? Yeah, hang on. This is a this is a metaphysical red herring ploy you're trying to throw in here. Oh my god, I can't do it, man. I can't do it, Kwame. I tried. Can't do it, bro. So, um, <clears throat> I guess we could get back to the reading, man. If you want to answer the question, the live chat is open. I just want to know, is this your first time tuning into the show so we can move on with the conversation? But we cannot have a conversation if you refuse to answer something simple as that. Because uh, now I feel like you you being dishonest and you're playing games, which, you know, I already could have. I could have did that from the jump when you said that we was lying when we said we don't we don't know God. So, you know, what I mean, right off the bat, we had a problem, but I was being nice with you for the for the sake of conversation. And being this is our first time speaking with you. You know, what I mean, I gave you the, the benefit of the doubt. I say, well, maybe he don't mean to, to come off condescending. But, bro, ain't nobody lying when they say we don't believe in, 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 in your um, imaginary friend in the sky. Especially when the shit contradicts itself. So you say that basically heads I win, tails you lose. Anything I say about your God, you can say, well, he can he can just do this because he's God. It's like it's like the little kid. They're saying, oh, I, um, I shot you. No, no, you didn't. I got I got on a bulletproof vest. You didn't shoot me. Like, it's no fun playing playing games with kids like that because, you know what I'm saying, motherfucker, you ain't, you ain't playing fair. You know I shot you. <laughs> I, I put my my fingers into the gun and I said, bang. And you sitting there talking about you got on a, a magic vest now. Come on now. So then you know what happens when, when kids do that? The other kids say, I don't want to play no more because you ain't, you ain't playing fair. So that's what I'm doing to you. I don't want to have the conversation no more because you're not answering simple question. So back to the book of Job. We was on chapter seven. It says, is there an appointed time for man upon the earth? Are not his days also like the days of the hireling as a servant? Earnestly desireth the shadow as the hireling looketh for the reward of his work. So am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when I shall rise, when shall I rise again and the night be gone? And I am full of tossings and to and fro until the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and claws of dust. My skin is broken and has become loathsome. My days are swifter than the weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eye shall no more see God. The eye of him that hath seen me shall see no more. Thine eyes are upon me and I am not as the clouds is consumed and vanisheth away. Kwame, you, you back, sir? Yo, can you make you? Yeah, you a little loud, but I can hear you. Yeah, man, I'm sorry, man. Some, some, it was time. It's not responding. All right, yo, uh, you, you, your mic breaking up. Something, something's going on. <clears throat> Say something. Yeah, so I like, missed uh, the whole yeah. thing. Okay. Yes. Yeah, All right, I can hear you now. Oh well, yeah, man, we had a um, 
uh, caller. He called in. All right, so, so know, what, what uh, was it all about? I mean, I just, he says that we can't destroy the biblical Christological God. And I told him it's, it's not our job to destroy something that don't exist. Like, of course, we can't destroy something that don't exist. It don't exist. And he says, well, if you use that word exist, that just proves that God is real because exist is a verb. And, you know, what I'm saying lost me right there because I'm like, I'm saying God does not exist. I'm not I'm not saying he does. <laughs> I'm saying he don't exist. And then he went on to um, make a whole bunch of fallacious arguments and some kind of sending remarks, basically. The, the typical um, apologetics that we hear from Christians, but he he's a uh, he's a Bible thumper, and he he rejects science, and he doesn't accept uh, proven facts. But he he claims that the Bible and that God exists as a fact, and that we're lying when we say we don't believe in God. That's what he said. You said we just some liars. Yeah, it's like, 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 like with that the debate you had with that uh, that white past. So what was his name? I don't. I don't think he we got his name. Do. We just called him uh. Pastor. His name was Bible yeah. something. Uh, you do believe in? Uh, what was that? Uh, what was his name? The guy. You debated. He came on your phone. I um I don't remember his name, but your um your microphone going in and out, man. I can only hear like every other word. You still on the same microphone you was on before? Yeah. I don't know I what's up with that. Figure out the guy that uh that you debated. No, no, I'm talking about the preacher that. You debated the white guy. Oh, you talk about um Jackson. Yes, you do believe in God. Yes, you do. You just don't want to. Huh? The 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 uh, the Lakers coach. Something's going on with the stream yard. I forgot his name, man, but his last name Jackson. But yeah, man, um, almost, almost like that. You know, what I mean, he, um, he was using, you know, a lot of the the, yeah, the big um, words that the apologists, apologists like to is, use. So he kind of lost me a little bit. I was trying to get him to dumb it down for. Us. Yeah, well, I know I'm not on any microphone. He's using my computer. Uh, so hold on, let me see if I can find something in there. <laughs> All right, so since we had a, a caller and, you know, we took up a little bit of time, 
Yeah. I'm gonna fast forward. Be more alignment in the uh, book of Job. You know I'm saying. Phil but Jackson, appreciate that. That's what they do. Appreciate they, they try to talk. Vernon Herman, man. That's his name, Phil Jackson. To make themselves sound intelligent. Yeah, man, because you know, yeah. it's a it's a it's a, a tactic. I think they do that that all that um you know you don't have an ontological exterior positively indubitably super fragile casualistic is because they try to throw you off you know what i'm saying so it's like dude if i don't understand what you're saying i can't respond to you so you know what i mean so if, if you're using words that i don't know what they mean first of all i don't want to have to have a dictionary to have a conversation with you you know what i mean i i, I i've been in this uh debate scene for a little while so i'm kind of used to it but dude was was all the way on the far extreme using all all the big words and half of them i didn't know what the fuck he, he meant by it. you know what i mean so i'm like if you lost me i know you lost 90 percent of the people listening that that don't debate with you motherfuckers on a regular basis so i'm trying to get it to a point where he could he could speak to us on a level that everybody can digest what, what he's saying but it seemed like he was more interested and making claims than he was in answering questions. You know what I mean? And he, I think he, he got stuck on a couple of simple questions that I was asking him, you know, like, can you have a brain without a mind? You know, like where, when have you ever seen a brain without a mind? And he said, Oh God, I mean, a mind without a brain. And he said, God is a mind without a brain, but you know, we don't believe in this God. We asking for something, you know, real. Something that actually exists. Show me uh, a mind without a brain. I asked him to uh, show me how matter can be destroyed. Oh, God can do it. So God can be your answer for everything. And you know that we don't believe in this motherfucker. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's a, it's an old joke when people say, what's the meaning of life? And you say 42. And that's just the answer to every question. 42. It's a joke. But that can't be your answer for everything. You know what I mean? Unless you're joking. You know, then in that case, it's funny. I don't know if he meant to be funny, but I'm pretty sure somebody got a good laugh out of it. Pretty darn sure. Anybody else think they could do do better? Maybe y'all can uh call in and and provide some some evidence that this guy actually exists. But I'm not convinced. And if I gotta get a, a degree to understand God then miss me with that one because I don't think it should be that complicated. All these people running around here claiming they know God, they ain't they ain't got half of the words and their vocabulary that you're using. So why does it why do we need all that to understand if if God is so obvious and we know it's such a brute fact, why why do it take all that to just believe in it? You know what I mean? So you haven't convinced me nor four to five billion other people on this planet that don't believe in this Bible. It's not just me. There are other people that are religious people that don't believe in the Bible. They believe in other religions. So apparently the Bible is, is not all convincing. You know what I mean? It just so happens that you live in a culture where Christianity has been given to the people through war and concourse. It wasn't um it wasn't like they, they made a good case for Christianity and everybody said, Yeah, that makes sense. No, it was kind of forced on the people. And it just been passed down from generation to generation. There's never really been any evidence for this. 
And if you check the numbers every year, the Christian population gets smaller and smaller. More and more churches is closing down. Less and less people attending church, less and less people tithing. So slowly but surely, Christianity is definitely on a decline. I'm just here to expedite that process as, as much as I can, because I want to see a world where people make decisions based off of things that are real and tangible rather than making decisions based off of stuff that they simply believe that is actually harmful to you. Because like Ray Higgins was saying in the beginning of this episode, all these people that are out here um, committing crimes and going to jail and doing fucked up shit, they believe in God. So this, this Bible didn't save them. The Bible didn't help them. All the slaves you know, if you didn't know um, biblical Christological dude, we're black. So our ancestors believed in this, this Bible while they were enslaved. They did not get saved by this God. You know who freed the slaves? Abraham Lincoln. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think he did it for any moral reason. I think it was more of a financial thing. They were trying to save the union. You know what I mean? So he freed the slaves, not not because it was just the right thing to do. So, again, miss me with that whole the Bible is the way bullshit, especially when it don't make no damn sense. You know, what I mean, but as it pertains to the book of Job, we brought this up for a reason because it's getting late. So we're going to have to kind of fast forward through. But we brought this up because. Stories like this exist in the Bible and you as uh, a believer or a non-believer or somebody that's on the fence and don't know whether you believe or not, it's up in the air. You have to ask yourself, if it's not true, why is it in the Bible? Well, if you believe it is true, that question is still up in the air. We don't know the answer to, to why they put this stuff in the, in the Bible, if it's not true. You know what I mean? But if you don't believe and you ask yourself, why would they put this in the Bible? Now all of a sudden it starts to make sense because we have a reason. This, this tale, just like Shakespeare's Richard III is here to give you some direction, whether it be good direction or bad direction. In the book of Job, the direction My is bad. They they want you to believe no matter what. I hear you. They want you to believe even when bad shit happened, even even when your whole world fucked up. They say, well, if Job can 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 keep his faith when all this bad shit is happening, then who are you to to lose your faith when you go through some trials and tribulation? So it's supposed to encourage you to keep believing in the bullshit, even in the face of contradicting evidence. So that's the purpose of this story in the book. Doesn't mean that it's true. It's to keep you locked into this bullshit. And again, like I was saying on the How We Know the Bible Isn't True episode, they put these things in the book to keep you believing in it. And they had time to, to get it to the point that it is at now. So if you're looking at the Bible and you say, Oh, this, 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 I don't see how they could just make this stuff. I don't see. That's because they didn't write it in, in one week or one year or in one century or in one millennium. It took 
thousands of years for them to compile this stuff together and that's how come it got to the point where it is today if you read all these books alone in a true form and all the books that were omitted i guarantee you you will not be a christian because you will see that this shit don't make no damn sense there's a lot of books in the bible or a lot of books that were in the original canaan that is not in the bible now a lot of books got omitted and they said some very strange things if all y'all that haven't read the gospel of thomas the gospel of judas and that's that's just two gospels there's lots of books that are not gospels that were omitted from the bible but the bible ain't the end all be all and these and it's not one book it's 66 books compiled together over a period of thousands of years and they've been revised copied translated so even if it was uh, a, a real God somewhere, I still couldn't put my faith in the Bible just off of the strength that is not in this original form. I'm not stupid enough to take some second, third, fourth and fifth. Now we down to like six millionth hand. I want that original. one. You know what I'm saying? So if you call yourself a Christian and you're not reading the original language shame on you and if you don't know nothing about when these books of the bible was written and who wrote them and how the bible got put together you never heard of the council of nicaea or the council of chalcedon shame on you because that's your religion it ain't no way an atheist should know more about your religion than you do but if you knew it you probably would be an atheist too some of y'all didn't have a chance because i know a lot of y'all was forced to go to church I was. Ray Hagen said it. That a lot of us was giving this stuff before we even had the ability to think. The human brain doesn't get fully developed until late teens, early adulthood. So if you introducing a religion to a child, that's almost child abuse. Because they don't have the ability to discern what's real from what's, what's not real. That's why children believe in fantastical things. Children believe in the tooth fairy. They believe in Santa Claus. And at the same time, they believe in, in this stuff that don't exist. They believe in it. Scooby-Doo is somewhere out there talking. Children believe that. At that same time, when their brain is in that state where they can believe these fantastical things, you introduce to them Jesus. How are they supposed to discern whether or not this is true or not? That's not fair. You know what I'm saying? You should... You should if you're going to introduce a religion to a child, introduce all of them. Give a child a fair chance to come to their own conclusion. So, in conclusion, that's why the book of Job is in the Bible. Not because it's true, but because they want you to retain faith in a fucked up religion, even when it's not doing you no good. Because the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, right? That's what it's saying in the Bible. Just like the dude that just called in. I asked him a, a question <laughs> about him. I said, uh, uh, Santa Claus. I said, do you believe in Santa Claus? He said, well, biblically. Uh, what the fuck you mean biblically, dude? I'm asking you, do you believe in Santa Claus? Well, biblically, because for some reason, Christians don't know nothing that don't come from the Bible. He can't even answer a simple question. He don't know what he believe about Santa Claus without looking it up in the Bible first. 
The same thing I had to tell the Phil Jackson. Older than me. Richer than me. But every question I asked him, man, he got to go to the Bible. Well, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I'm like, man, stop looking in that book. I'm asking you, what do you think about this? I'm not asking what somebody thought about it 10,000 years ago and what they wrote in a book. I'm asking you, what do you think? What do you believe? And if we can't get if we can't get to, to a point where we have an honest dialogue and you answering questions yourself, then we cannot have a dialogue at all because basically you full of shit. You just going to say, well, God done it. God did it. God did it. That's and you have no evidence. And I ask you provide evidence. Show me an example. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So. Um, Kwame, I appreciate you tuning in and joining the conversation. He having some uh, computer issues. To everybody else, I appreciate y'all tuning in. I want to remind everybody that this is an audio podcast as well as a YouTube channel. So you can um, subscribe to our audio podcast, Atheist Church Live, wherever you get podcasts. Listen to it in your car, your earbuds, or your smart speaker. You can tell Alexa to play Atheist Church Live. We appreciate it if you do so. You can support us at our website. You can um, look at the link in the description. We have other shows. Or you can simply uh, support us on Cash App. Those Cash Apps are scrolling at the bottom of the screen. We appreciate everything y'all do for us. And we're going to continue to bring y'all the truth. As close to the truth as we can get it. And trust me. We don't want you to believe what we're telling y'all. We want y'all to come to your own conclusions. And if you disagree and you say, hey, you know, Kwame and Quayle, y'all say a lot of stuff, but I don't think y'all right about this. Y'all don't, I don't think y'all right about that. You are welcome to call in and disagree with us, but do so intellectually and honestly. Don't call up here not wanting to answer simple questions because you see how, how I how I how I do. I'm just going to ask you basic shit, simple questions. Do you believe in Santa Claus? Is this your first time watching the show? Simple shit. If you can't conduct a conversation on that level, I cannot talk to you. You know what I'm saying? So it must have been his first time watching the show because he asked he asked some questions that we answered a thousand times before. But it's getting late and I want to uh, get out of here man so peace black power to everybody stay tuned we're gonna replay this on the um atheist church live channel pretty soon and as always y'all can tune into the audio podcast as well shout out to uh, everybody that tuned in man uh vernon herman we appreciate you danielle war mob sunrise appreciate y'all man dsa ignatius b we're gonna get we're gonna get um ignatius i think that's you who emailed me if, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to get you on the show, too. So, yeah, man, we here. We here to stay. We here for the long run. No, we took a break for a while. We was on a little hiatus, but we back now. Thank you all for tuning in and peace out. We'll catch you all next week.